decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg! Good morning, Manitoba! For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manouk, I'm your host, Drew Mandel. We'd like to welcome to the program the new king of Illegal Curve, His Royal Highness, Dr. Ezra Ginsburg. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause. Long live the king. Long live the king. I thought this was going to be your coronation, Drew, but I'll take it. But I, I just always assumed you were the king of Illegal Curve. Well, you know, I was in a generous mood, and I thought that people would accuse me of being a little bit arrogant and out of touch if I declared myself king. Uh, so I thought I'd pass on the honors to you. It's like that Twitter feed that's making random people premier for a day. I I've, been, I've premier. been premier for a day. Dave's been premier for a day. Uh, Ezzy, I don't know if you've reached that status, but at least you can now be king of a legal curve, at least for the next couple of hours. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Isn't King Charles like also the oldest person to ever become uh, a monarch? Like, isn't he like... I don't know how old he is, but he's something like in his late 70s or, or early 80s. So obviously he's waited a long time, but um, thankfully this is not a show about the monarchy. It's about hockey and uh, we're going to talk about the Jets and Moose and Ice. But yeah, good for King Charles. I'm sure it was a, a massive day for the people of Britain. You didn't wake up right and early to watch it then, I'm, I'm assuming? I didn't even know it was going on, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's the answer I was hoping for. Yes, in any event. Uh, we will Dave, not... Dave is my king. That's who I bow down to. There you go. We will not uh, We will not talk about the monarchy too much on this show unless we are to make fun of it. And, of course, if you know the button, if you know the name of the king or queen that's being murdered, plus one. That's from The <laughs> Simpsons, the, the dial of crime. Uh, you've selected regicide. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, go-to jokes. Dave, I'm good to see you on this Saturday morning. It's been a whole week. Since we've been back together for the, I mean, it, we have. It's actually weird. Like when you're, when you're used to doing a show every two or three days, right? Like yeah. even like when there were three days between Jets games, it seemed like a, a long time, right? So yeah, I agree with you, Drew. It's weird. Like seven days, like it might as well be like a month. Exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, we haven't been able to see Spency and Kim and Bailey and all of our friends that are always in the chat. We haven't been able to see them for a long time. So I hope everyone's doing well now that we're back together on this Saturday morning. Dave, good to see you, my friend. Uh, Drew, it's a good point. Actually, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, wow, it's crazy to think how you go throughout the season and it is show, 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 show. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, as soon as we get into that off-season mode, suddenly it's uh, once a week. It seems like it's too long in between shows. Uh, maybe we need to bring back uh, our uh, NHL midweek on Wednesday nights uh, just to just to make sure we're maintaining our connectivity, boys. Because you know we shouldn't be losing that. You know uh, when it takes one week in between shows. Or hey, we could do a Moose post game show starting tonight with uh, Game Five of their must win winner takes all. Uh, final against the Milwaukee Admirals. Yes, we'll let you. Uh, we'll talk about the Moose later on in the show, and we'll let you keep uh, abreast of all, all the details regarding the Moose. So, Ezzy and I don't get divorced, but your idea about a midweek <laughs> show is, is is well appreciated, uh, nonetheless. Uh, let's get into the Winnipeg Jets because you know it was a week ago at this time, or just about maybe an hour from now, where the media availabilities, the exit interviews were underway, and for anybody who expected the exit interviews to be a uh, 
non-newsworthy event. Well, they were uh, uh, sore. Uh, they were sorely mistaken as the players went after Rick Bonus, and Rick Bonus didn't really back down too much after he decided he was going to speak on Saturday as well. All in all, and nothing over the last week has made me change my mind. This does not seem like an organization that is all pulling in the right direction. This does not seem, the Winnipeg Jets do not seem like an organization where all is copacetic, no matter what sort of uh, smiley face they would try and put on it uh, after all the exit interviews. There is a lot of dirty water uh, going on with this Winnipeg Jets team, by my estimation. And I don't know that just an offseason will solve it necessarily. I'll start with you on that comment, Ezzy. Yeah, it's a little bit like the Assiniboine River right now for the Winnipeg Jets uh, organization. If you want to talk about uh, muddy, dirty water, right, Drew? I yeah. guess you could throw in the Red River as well or any other river in Manitoba. because we You can swim I'm... in those rivers if you want, Ezzy. That would be fine. Yeah, I, I've thought about it, but yeah. uh, I, then I, I would – I just – would rather just maybe go to Pan Am pool or maybe Cindy, Cindy Clausen or the Rady center. But, you know, we were lucky that we were on air boys for a lot of those player end of season media availabilities, right? Like we weren't on air for all of them, but we were able to, thanks to our colleagues, Mike McIntyre, Kenny Weeb, everybody else who was down there, Marat, uh, we were able to discuss those. And we were surprised that you heard players, you know, saying that they weren't happy that Rick Bonus said what he said. And mm -hmm. we were making the comments last week that, you know, the players knew that those questions were going to come. They knew they were going to be asked about Rick Bonus's comments. And what struck me is like, why not just downplay it? Even, even if you're thinking that, why are like for Blake Wheeler, for example, like, why are you, why not just downplay it and not say anything, but then you give fuel for, you know, people like Elliot Friedman and, and Pierre Lebrun and insiders to, to talk about this for days after. Now it's been a week. So people are talking about it a little bit less, but, you know, I think what happened on Sunday with Kevin Cheveldayoff's press conference, and obviously, you know, we didn't expect Chevy to say, yep, we're going to blow it up and we're going to trade eight guys tomorrow. I don't think, you know, that was a surprise, but I think what was a surprise was that with Rick Bonus's comments coupled with some of the Jets players saying that they weren't happy with Rick Bonus's comments, then Chevy essentially came up there and he said everything is fine, right? Like, you know, if we had Shifley, if we had Morrissey, you know, we we could have won round one. You know, we've made the playoffs five of the last six years, you know, on and on and on. And I think, you know, that's what confused Jets fans even more, that you didn't really have you know, any type of direction or, or vision or even an apology coming out, out of Kevin Sheveldayoff. Obviously, you know, True North came out with, you know, the letter to fans from John Olford after the original email, which was just a, a PR nightmare, right? But well, the, 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 confusing, Drew, is that you're, you're seeing mixed messaging, right? Like, are there problems in the locker room? Are, are there problems with leadership? It seems like, according to Rick Bonus, there are, and then players are downplaying it. And then you have Chevy coming out and saying that, you know, basically, you know, everything's good. We made the playoffs and, you know, it's hard to make the playoffs. But at this point, when you're a cap team and the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, not just make the playoffs, I think it's confusing for a lot of Jets fans what was coming out of Chevy's mouth because he seemed to think that, you know, it's like that that gif, right? That, you know, everything is fine, the dog, and, you know, everything's burning in the background, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think that bad, guys. Like, I think people need to step back a little bit and hopefully there's been – you know, Dave, some, you know, sober reflection, you know, over a week after the Jets were eliminated from the first round by Vegas, right? But I think, you know, it's it's evident that significant changes need to happen. Whatever those changes are, 
you know, it's, it's significant. You can't go, you can't run it back again and, you know, go back with the same team next year. You just have too many question marks around the core of this team. You know, Dave, what, what struck me about, you know, the last sort of week's worth of PR attempts from the players, from Rick Bonus, from management, from the corporate side of True North is the, the phrase, the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Because it just seemed like there was no connectivity. There was no a discipline in messaging. I mean, I can go back to my politics days, which is, you know, a lifetime ago for me, but, you know, message discipline is a huge, uh, is a huge necessity when you're trying to communicate with the public. And there just seemed to be absolutely no uh, connectivity. You have that email sort of summarizing the playoffs, saying the jets, you know, had a lot of pushback except for that one game. And I'm like, you're throwing. So somebody, whoever wrote that and approved that is throwing their head coach under the bus. And then you have that letter a couple days later, letter uh, later from John Olfert. And I'm sure John Olfert is a nice man. I'm sure he's accomplished a great deal in his career, but how many season ticket holders or ticket buying public know who the hell John Olfert is? Nobody does. Uh, you know, so it's just odd. There's no sort of, there's no plan of action as far as I can see for what this organization is trying to sell to the, to the ticket buying public. Wi-Fi for everyone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what they're trying to sell drew. I know. Um, no, I mean, look, I don't think you're wrong. And I think it's, it is amazing to me that last year, if you'll, if folks will recall Mark Chipman, the letter came from Mark Chipman. Right. Uh, whereas this year it's coming from the president and COO of true North, John Olford, who it's coming from is, is less, germane to me than than the message that it is attempting to convey and i mean this message you know was it was a, it was a standard it seemed like standard pr right it didn't seem seem very uninteresting to me and it didn't do a great job selling to the fans that they were getting anything other than free wi-fi and to be honest with you like i was like you know you're doing improvements to the building but those improvements are going to make your organization money because you're improving the drink sales as far as you know the the those types of environments it's great but that's good for you, right? That's good for your bottom line eventually. So yeah, you're making an investment, but what do, you know, when you did it, if you recall when the Jets said we're building a, we're going to have a better Jumbotron, we're going to have more on ice displays like they've done. That's something that fans tangibly can understand. Free Wi-Fi for everyone is not something that is overly exciting. I think <laughs> anyone who thinks, why do I need to go to a hockey game and need free Wi-Fi? I, you know, I like, hear they're prepared for Y2K as well. So that, I thought that, they that, were. I thought, I thought when they said free Wi-Fi, they were trading for uh, you know what's his name from Montreal. I thought maybe that's what they were. That was kind of like a a tell asy. But regardless, people are going to be able to d download songs off of Napster way quicker than I used to when I used to do my jewel case layouts and make mix CDs. If you want CSI Miami, you're going to be able to get it very quick without taking down the entire uh, <laughs> network, as the boys know what I'm making a reference to. But look, I think it's it's a. It's just that the organization is flailing a little bit right now because they're, they are in what's as best I can describe it as damage control. And the fact of the matter is that we see this because we, you know, cover this team on a daily basis and we post up on Instagram or on the illegal curve Instagram. We post it on our Twitter. We post it on our website and you see the reactions and the reactions from the fan base, understandably so is one that is not very happy with the way the organization appears to be going now. One thing I'll say, I understand the damage control of Kevin Sheveldayoff was attempting to do on Sunday, you know, morning of last week or last weekend, sorry, because what's he going to say? Yeah, we're going to make all these changes. He's not like the, the asset's already damaged. You know, he wants to just try and get the ship into port and get it repaired 
a little bit, get a little time and space so he can at least say, doesn't want to depreciate every asset that's in his in his arsenal right now that he's going to want to try and get rid of. So he's not going to say, you know what, the room was terrible, these guys are terrible, and they stunk, and they 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 didn't they didn't meet the expectations of our organization. And and quite honestly, like it's easier to have Rick take the slings and arrows, whether you like it or not, than to have to turn it on your players. Which I mean, again, I my expectation, I think there's going to be big changes with this organization this year. I just don't think he's signaling that because he already knows, again, the NHL is the NHL. These guys all talk, right? It's like high school. So no, it's not. there's no secrets in these organizations. This stuff all gets out. But I just think that what he's attempting to do is try and do a little bit of, you know, as he just to make this thing seem a little bit less poor for his organization. And then again, get some time and space. And then he starts to make some changes. Let's be honest here, Drew, just, just quickly. A lot of this, uh, uh, the, the end of season interviews, the letter to the fans, Chevy's press conference, let's be honest, it's performative. A lot of this is performative. What fans will really care about is if, she- if, and when, because we do expect Chevy to make, you know, some significant moves. It might come, you know, around the NHL draft. Like, and that's something that we're going to be talking about a lot leading up to the draft is, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois. We all remember what happened last year, right? And all the rumors swirling around Dubois and, you know, his bank was nice enough to give him, uh, you know, a credit limit extension and also uh, take him to the NHL draft in, in Montreal. But I, I don't really take, I don't really take a lot of this stuff seriously, to be honest with you. This is all just for show. And what fans want to see is, are, are the Jets going to be going for it? And and what what stands out to me, boys is that all of this indicates to me that the Jets are not rebuilding. Like, this is not going to be a rebuilding situation. And I know a lot of people want, you know, five or six core players to be traded. But I think everything that is coming out of players' mouths or general manager Kevin Dayoff's mouth or ownership, everything like that, I don't think, at least to me, if you read between the lines, it doesn't seem like this team is going to be you know, is interested in any type of rebuild. That doesn't mean that you're not going to see a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois traded, Drew, but I just wouldn't expect Shifley, Hellebuck, and Wheeler to be traded as well. Well, let me stop you there then. Then then why would the results be any different next year? We've, I mean, this core has been together. They've done the new coach thing with Rick Bonus, which worked for part of the year. I don't think that that relationship can just be healed very quickly based on the, the comments from either of them. So what's what's going to change between now and the start of training camp that's all of a sudden going to make this a better team or put this team on a better path than they currently are? I mean, Rick Bonus made some very pointed comments. Was he wrong in his comments? No, I think they were accurate. But you know what the you know the the, the definition of a gaffe is is speaking honestly. So he made a gaffe by speaking honestly. The players didn't like it because they're very sensitive and they're and they, and they can't uh, acknowledge their effort for what it was. So I, I just don't know why all of a sudden this is going to be solved between now and training camp by bringing back you know basically the same core group, the same coach who was obviously you know his his relationship with the players in my estimation would be poisoned to some effect. So why all of a sudden is September going to result in a big change and, and this team is going to be back on an upward trajectory? I just think they're kicking the can down the road some more and, and I don't see any, any any difference upcoming. Dave, you're shaking your head. Well, just because I don't think it's going to be the same team. I don't think they're running it back. I mean, running it back was okay last year. And, and look, it's all well and good to say, well, if you didn't lose Josh Morrissey and if you didn't lose Mark Shifley, well, you did and your team wasn't able to adjust and you lost. 
And I understand that's your top defenseman and top forward, one of your top forwards. It's not insignificant. But one, I guess it speaks to the depth of the organization. I mean, again, it's hard to to eliminate two of those key pieces and suggest that it's not a big deal. Right. But ultimately, I, I think that the reality is fans aren't going to be like, okay, cool, let's see another 82 games of a team that looked really good for the first few months and then stunk and then had to turn it on just to get into the play- to squeak into the playoffs against a national team that traded away all their assets and still showed enough heart that, hey, you know what, we're going to push forward and try and see if we can do something that nobody's expecting us to now helps when they have a goaltender of UC Soros's uh, abilities. But I don't, I don't think you're going to see the same team next year. I really don't. I think that again, Kevin Sheveldayoff doesn't tip his hand ever. He doesn't give you any sort of indication. So ultimately, and even if you notice like the, the normal post Chevy press conference leaks that go to the draggers and the Freedmans, yeah. fairly minimal. There wasn't a lot of like chatter to those guys. You notice there wasn't like a two hour, they, they talked about the pressers, but they didn't really, or as I call them, depressors. But the fact of the matter is they didn't really talk about that. That's, very... That's funny. Thank you. Thank you. So, but I think ultimately, no, I don't think you're going to see the same team. I mean, look, there's clearly uh, the, 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 didn't have the intended effect of removing the C from Blake Wheeler's chest when Adam Lowry at the end of the uh, year is saying, well, we still see Blake Wheeler as the captain. Well, that had a really, the only thing that did was it insulated Blake Wheeler from talking to the media as frequently as he did, which is good for both Blake Wheeler and the media. So I don't think anyone's complaining about that, but uh, I don't think it had the intended effect. And, and ultimately- To me, that was weird, Dave. Like it's well, one thing to say, we still think Blake Wheeler is a leader on this team, but to say that we still think he's the captain, but it when doesn't, that was a big move by bonus to strip the seat, like- he didn't. He didn't take off half of the C. He took off the full C. <laughs> but as you, you know, know what I mean, so like it yeah. was kind of odd. Like, and and the thing is, like again, I don't put too much stock into that, just because, like, what does that mean? Who cares if they view him as the C? He's not the captain anymore. Most likely, it is going to be one of Blake. We pardon me, Adam Lowry or Josh <laughs> Morrissey. I mean, maybe they go with you know no captain next year. But I think a lot of people would be okay. A lot of Jets fans specifically would be okay with it being Lowry or Wheeler. Uh, sorry, got to be careful. Lowry or Morrissey. Uh, Wheeler was subliminal the messaging cap- there. As yeah, exactly. I, I think I'm, I'm I, you know, Adam Lowry's getting into my head a little bit here, boys, but yeah, it was a little bit odd to me, Dave, but again, and I think, you know, I saw Drew shaking his head a little bit when you're talking about moves and I can see the fans are the, the IC nation is fired up in the chat here. I like that, but I think, you know, Getting back to what Drew was saying, I, I, I don't think it can just be one move. And I think we could easily rank, you know, who we think is going to be traded first. The reason why I put Pierre-Luc Dubois at the top of that list, uh, along with, you know, Kenny Weeb and a lot of others. You're trading Kenny Weeb? No, I'm not going to trade Weber. Weber okay. is untouchable. Holy but guys, moly, you can't you're, go if you're if you're, you're going, going scorched to get, earth on the whole organization if you're trading Ken Weeb there. No, no, but you know what I mean. No, it's I, I know. Yeah, but if you know what I mean, like you can't go if you're going to go for it again next year and try to you know go on a playoff run, make the playoffs. How are you going to go into a situation where you have PLD in the last year of his contract and then you're going to trade him at the trade deadline? I just don't, I don't I don't see that. I mean, I I I would imagine that you know. The Jets are going to look at everything's on the table, or at, at the very least, everything should be on the table, with maybe the exception of trading, you know, Josh Morrissey and and Kyle Connor. But I think there's a lot on the table when you consider how many pending unrestricted free agents you have, how many pending RFAs you have. To Drew's point, there has to be significant moves. I look at the blue line, and I think you have several players that are making too much money. I love Nate Schmidt. I think Nate Schmidt is a great guy in the dressing room. We've had him on the show before, but I think you have to look at specifically Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, Neil Pionk, who are all making 
you know, over $5 million a year, you have to improve that defense. I think we all know who isn't going anywhere. Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMello, Dylan Sandberg, they're not going anywhere. You have Vili Hainola, who, let's be honest, if he's in the AHL again next year, um, then I th I'm going to lose my mind because it's time for Vili Hainola to get a long extended look at the NHL. I think Dave would agree. He's on a nice run with the Moose now in the playoffs. Hopefully the Moose are going to be able to knock off the Admirals tonight in game five. But I think to Drew's point, it can't just be a few moves here and there. It has to be significant changes. All I was saying, Drew, is I just wouldn't expect, you know, the Jets to trade Shifley, Dubois, Hellebuck, and Wheeler. Like, how often do you see a team trade that many, you know, key pieces? You just don't see it very often. You don't see it very often, and the Jets especially are not a team that you know that are that are aggressive, as we've well documented over the last decade plus. I'm just still not, you know, before you get even to the players, I'm not sure how you bring Rick Bonus back. I mean, uh, you know, given the the aftermath of, of the end of the season here, you know, uh, unless you're, uh, you know, it seems incongruent that you would bring the coach back who just fired all these. Uh, you know, strong worded comments at the at the players, and then the players, the same group of players, more or less, back who just fired back at their head coach. I, I just don't see how that's going to lead to a culture of success within the dressing room when there's this animosity between coaches and players. And I know that animosity between players and coaches is not a new thing per se, mm -hmm. but you also just saw what happened in Calgary, where the players basically just had a mutiny to get Daryl Sutter fired. Now, I don't think that Rick Bonus and Daryl Sutter are the same person. I don't think Rick Bonus his career and his and his and his reputation isn't that of being a curmudgeon. Rick Bonus is a hockey uh, lifer, but he also has the respect of his players for the most part. It's a good comparison though, Drew. I think there are some similarities to what's happening in Calgary and what's happening in Winnipeg with the players not being on the same page as the coach. Right. Now you know, I, and I don't think it's as dramatic as Calgary's was. But you I mean, like where the, where, you mean like where half a dozen players had trade requests if he was going to stay on? That's right. Where they they said you know, look, and then there might be a half a dozen players who have trade requests at all times. But those there players basically said, "This guy goes or we go." I mean, it was it was we were not listening to Daryl Sutter. He's not going to be the head right. coach if you want us to be on the team anymore. I don't think it's that bad here, but I also don't think that it's something that can be easily fixed with another retreat to Banff and another pledge signing, like they're like they're joining a youth group or something. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think that there's many layers to this issue, and I don't think that you know, and this would be Kevin Shoveldayoff's job as the general manager. I don't think he's actually addressing them. I think he's just, you know, kicking the can and, you know, sniping with the media. I, I thought his press conference was embarrassing, uh, you know, and just in terms of the arrogance it displayed. You don't have to come out and, you know, show all your cards, but mm -hmm. a little bit of humble pie in that instance, I think, is called for because you didn't actually accomplish anything last year, despite making the playoffs where half the teams in the league make the playoffs. That's not getting a 50% success rate is not really what I would describe as something to uh, plan a parade over, Dave. Except for his response to that Nikita Chiprikov question. That was a good question. Whoever asked that, very smart, very intelligent. But but the fact of the matter is, Drew, that, yeah, I mean, look, this, this organization is in a tailspin. I, and it's appropriate because the Jets that right now that is the way things are going. And and I will say the only pushback I would have on your point is that I think that there's a lot of time in the summer to 
heal these sorts of things. You can get past this. Look, Rick Bonus had one outburst in, you know, 300 days of being the coach of this hockey team. He threw them under the bus maybe one other time where he didn't like the effort from the team. But for the most part, he didn't exactly throw his team under the bus too often. And he was frustrated. He blew off steam. And it's not completely, un, uh, you know, it, I mean, I think everyone understood it. The only disappointment, I think, in in, in Jets Nation was the idea that he walked the, those comments back and he didn't really to a certain to all to a full degree. Like again, I was there listening to him speak on Saturday after our show last week, and he essentially just said, "I, you know, I I chose my words improperly, you know, using the word disgusted." Mm-hmm. But he didn't necessarily. I mean, look, it, I mean, how unusual was it? Rick Bonus wasn't supposed to speak last Saturday, right? I also thought Rick disgusted Bonus. was probably the best word that he used because <laughs> if I was the coaching staff and if I was the players, I would be disgusted. And that For I sure. think, Dave, sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say, ahead. I think that's what Jets fans were the most disappointed about that there wasn't a lot of accountability coming from the players. Absolutely. I think that, and, and, and again, like I understand that you're professionals and that you have pride and that you don't want to have to be reflective and it's, it's raw and da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, like you didn't show up, you didn't play hard enough. You didn't win the games and look, Vegas is a good team, but those, you know, they, the organization isn't wrong. Like just could have won those could have won, but the problem is, like, the only guy who really brought it was Blake Wheeler. Blake mm-hmm. Wheeler was intense, but Blake Wheeler is, you know, old by NHL standards, and he doesn't have, like, Blake Wheeler and Mark Stone, those guys have intensity. The problem is Mark Stone is at the age that he can bring the entire team with him on his back when he shows that level of intensity. Blake Wheeler doesn't have that sort of same ability anymore to do that, and the, the, there were too many guys who were just passengers and weren't you know, in it to win it the entirety of that series. And so, yeah, you know, you fell short, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, this core has been together for five years, you know, and obviously Pierre-Luc Dubois is a more recent addition to the group, but ultimately they've had a lot of kicks at the can with this group. And so look, the idea, like sometimes the questions that get asked of players are in my mind, idiotic, like asking players if they're interested in a rebuild, why are you asking them that? What player in their fucking right mind is going to say, yeah, you know what? I love it. I love it. Give, Yeah, I want to be a last place team and, and and shooting for draft picks when you trade away three of the top players on this club, including Connor Hellebuck. Like, who? don't ask that question. You, you know, there's certain questions and certain guys will handle it better. Josh Morrissey, I thought, not in that respect, but in respect to another question, said, look, you know, he answered it with a plum and he just said, I'm not the GM. You, you know, it's more a question for him than it is for me. But don't ask guys about rebuilds. They're not, again, we talked about this, Ezzy. We talked about this last week. It's like asking a guy about draft picks. And it's like, why does he care where the Jets finish for a guy who's not going to be on the team with him in five years? They don't. So don't ask a player. No player is going to say, yeah, I want to be part of a rebuild. All it ends up doing is creating this headline. The Jets are not interested in a rebuild. Well, duh. Like, no offense. It's, 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 the problem is it creates this stupid narrative that gets out there on Twitter and makes headlines. But it's stupid. It makes no sense because, of course, no player who's 25 to 30 is going to say, yes, I'd love to be part of a rebuild. I think it's a great idea. Now, if you said retool, it's a little different, right? Teams can retool. Teams can make changes. And the other thing also is, what is he? what are these guys going to say? Josh Morrissey is sitting there and he's like, you know, he wasn't sitting beside Neil Pionk. But you're sitting beside Neil Pionk. You're like, yeah, you know what? That's great. Trade this guy. Get rid of him. Because that's what you're ultimately saying. You're ultimately saying, let's get rid of some of these guys who are on our team. No guy is going to do that. These guys all believe in loyalty. And that just circling back quickly to finish my thought on Wheeler and the captaincy. 
That's why no, none of these guys are going to speak ill about it because they all don't want to appear disloyal. So Adam Lowry's not going to say, yeah, you know, we still, of course he's going to say that about Blake Wheeler. You know why? Because Blake Wheeler is still part of the organization. So as a result, these guys don't want to be disloyal to the guys they go to war with every single day. The media has to ask these questions. Sorry, Drew, but like, like Dave said, the media has to ask these questions, but you know what the answers you're going to get. And you're absolutely right. They're blown out of proportion. And that's why I said earlier that I think a lot of this stuff is performative. What fans really want to see is action. They want to see the GM, you know, make some moves that's going to improve this team and move them forward as opposed to just doing nothing like essentially they did last year with the exception of a few minor moves, right? Like bringing in Sam Gagne, you know, signing Saku Mandelainen and Kevin Stenlin and Kyle Capabianco. That's not going to cut it this year. Fans want more than that. Well, let's bring in Jim Toth from CJOV Sports as we're going to go commercial free in hour number one of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Jimmy, good to see you, my friend. How are Looking things? Beautiful, JT. I'm great. How are you guys? Uh, no commercial free. I hope I didn't lose your sponsors. No, no, no. We're, they're gonna. Don't worry. They're, they're still going to get their full share of, of commercial. We're just like PBS now, Jim. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Go back to my shot cable days. We'll go hour hour long commercial free. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that'll be great, uh, Jim. Obviously, talking still about uh, last week's last weekend's end of season media conferences and uh, the disconnect, uh, you know, between the players and management and the fan base and everything along those lines. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, my question to start to you would be, you know, which of the pressers did you think was the most controversial that we heard, uh, you know, over the last week or so? Which one did you think sort of made your mm -hmm. eyes bug out of your head the most and say, whoa, I can't believe this person said that? Um, I would say Saturdays with the players by far. I, um, uh, you guys know me. I'm not a fan. I cover the team and, and, uh, but I, for the, for the first time in a long, long time, I felt bad for the fans. I, um, I, I thought the players, even, uh, if they, Hey, rightfully felt that way. Good for you guys. I'm a big believer in saying how you feel and, and being truthful to yourself and all that. Um, I just, uh, it was a total gong show to me. I, I couldn't believe that these players were taking the opportunity to sewer a coach that they like um, and and sort of deflecting from everything that needed to be talked about and, and kind of the oxymoron of we didn't like that he said that to the media, not to us and blah, blah, blah. And yet you're sitting here saying it to us that you didn't like it and you kind of want things kept in house. And, and yet um, I really didn't think Rick Bonus deserved that. And, and I, I rolled this around in my head a lot, guys, of the fact that um, just the whole idea that, look, you're embarrassed. Your coach embarrassed you. And, and a coach should never do that. Um, so I, I kind of understand the fact that, you know, when he comes out, when was the last time, other than John Tortorella, you heard a coach say the play disgusted me? Um, so I get it, but that's, that's why I kind of like the way I, I was in a minor hockey tournament in Portage of Prairie guys. And as these clips kept coming in, I, my whole day was derailed. I went from watching a game at the great arena in Portage in the morning to having breakfast, to sitting at the pool going, I got to leave the pool. I got to go watch this. I got a Rick bonus is now coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an absolute gong show of dysfunction and and i think the players look they feel that rick bonus owed them more than than the disrespect that he showed them and i think they owed rick bonus more than the disrespect they showed him player after player after player after player 
I have no problem with Blake Wheeler speaking for the team and saying, um, you know, I was very disappointed. I don't think he should have done it that way. But, you know, what's lost in all of this is he did say, but we're all human and we all make mistakes and it's emotions and all that. He kind of, you know, said, I didn't like it. I don't agree with it, but I understand where he was coming from. These things happen. We're all adults. We can work it out, blah, blah, blah. But then the next player came out. And then the next player came out. And then the next player came out. So um, I just, Saturday was the, the Sunday one guys with Chevy. I, I said this on our, on Jets at noon and you guys have kicked this around uh, since nine. What do you want him to say? He's got four key players he has to re-sign. He has to make some major changes, but those major changes don't have to be a rebuild and they can't look like a rebuild to some of the other players that he's trying to sign. I, I get it. Like I, I, I understand why everybody in the media and everybody the fans are upset that he never says anything and stuff, but the minute he comes out and says, well, you know, we need to make some changes because we're not good enough. What's Connor Hellebuck telling his agent? Well, hang on, Jimmy. Let me push back on you a little bit there, because it's not that he needed to come out and, and, and say rebuild or anything that people that, at least from my estimation, were upset about. It's just the I think it was the degree of arrogance that he still displayed uh, 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 in his Sunday news conference. There was no culpability. There was satisfaction for losing in five in five games in, in round one that I think turned most people off uh, as much as it did. I understand that, Drew, but I don't think he said that. I think he's proud of what he's done with this market for the past five or six years. Is it enough? I don't think so, but I think he's a general manager in the National Hockey League who knows more so than all of us, even though we do know some of it, has the most difficult job in the National Hockey League. And he basically has this team in the playoffs five out of six years. Making the playoffs is hard to do. And, and if people think that, well, half the teams make it, okay, well, then how, why is there so many teams that can't get in for five years in a row? Because there's a salary cap. And there's the, the idea that you can sort of the CFL this and turn this around in an offseason, or the idea that you can do what the Chicago Bears are doing and absolutely gut everything all at once and be back in it within two to three years with three high draft picks does not work. You could draft Connor Bedard and two other first-round draft picks this year, and you're still not making the playoffs next year. And so I, I, this is sounding like a defense of Kevin Dayoff, and I don't want it to be. I'm just saying I'm defending his – he cannot say anything, Drew. I, I think the minute he says it's not good enough, what does that tell a player who's thinking of signing here? There's going to be changes. The minute he says we've had a good five-year run, but we need to get better – Needing to get better is telling Connor Hellebuck there's going to be changes. And I, I just, I don't, so, and it's all up for, for interpretation. Like, that's my interpretation, right? I don't know. But, but I'm just saying that you kind of have, you know you're making changes. You know you are. You know you have a pecking order for what you want those changes to be. And you're probably quite well aware even in that pecking order, it's not going to work out the way you want it. So you have to now juggle balls of the way you want it to work out, the way it could work out, three different ways, and the whole time not anger anybody because I might have to re-sign the person I want to change or bring them back at the start of the season because the other three options I want to do aren't working out for me. So again, I, I get it. Like I was watching Shovel Day off as well. And um, I, I just, I don't know what people wanted him to say. And, and to your point, Drew, like you can say, Exactly what you said. Look, it's not good enough. We got to make changes. If I'm Connor Hellebuck, I'm like, what are those changes? 
Exactly. I need to, I need, I need to know I need to know before I, I talk any further. If you're Pierre Luc Dubois, what are those changes? And I think the last thing you, you know, they should be involved. Like Blake Wheeler said, he signed, you know, whatever many years ago because of the run of 2018. It looked good. It looked like it was on the cusp of these guys were entering their primes and they went to the Western Conference final. And that's why I had them beating Vegas this year. It wasn't about the, the fact that they were a better team. It was the fact that they were all five years older. Ehlers, Connors, Shifley. I mean, I, I thought they had matured enough and had been through enough loss and disappointment that they would have the wherewithal to draw from that experience to get through the first round. So I just, again, uh, um, I ran it through my head too. And I just was like, the minute I, I, I came up with six scenarios that I could say to the public and to the team, and there wasn't one scenario about what I would like to do this offseason or give fans hope that didn't come out with, I bet you those two players don't like hearing that. You know, Jim, so, I, I agree with you 100% when you're, I don't think Chevy really could have said anything that would have satisfied most Jets fans, put it that way. Well, yeah, and but but he should, you know. I get what you guys are saying, and and the fans, you would like to hear that first round playoffs isn't good enough. And what you heard was first round playoffs are an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And and this is how Chevy speaks, right? It's not not an accomplishment. It's there's there's a ton of teams that would love to make the first round, and and have been trying for four, five, six years in a row now. Buffalo stands out in my mind. They would they would. I mean, Toronto won the first round, and I thought they were going to have a parade. The way Keith on the bench was going crazy, and the players. I thought people were crying. I thought babies were being named after Tavares. Like, so, um, like, it's not, he's not wrong. It's not easy. And, and to do it this many years in a row, the problem has always been with, with me and most of the fans, I think, is the reason there's this fever and this passion and this anger around the Jets is they should be better. And I know people are going to say to me, paper doesn't mean blah, blah, blah. And I understand that. But you look on paper, this team should be better. And that's why I went with them this year. I didn't went with them winning the cup. But with the way the West was and wide open, I thought they could dance with three teams, including Vegas, and take them out. And I thought they could go toe-to-toe with the other three. And they had a, just about as shot as anybody else. And they failed. And that's the other disappointing part of Saturday. Like, where is the where is the – I didn't like what Rick Bonus said. I, I thought that was unprofessional and I didn't include it. But I'd also like to add, this is extremely frustrating. We, I think we're better than this and we, we need to find ways to get over this hump. I'm not, you know, satisfied with first round. I think that's the stuff you want to hear from the players, not the GM. Absolutely. And I think things were going really well for three or four weeks, right? Like you bring in Nito Niederreiter. He was great right off the bat. Vladislav Nemestikov, okay, he can play second line center. And to your point, Jim, and we and Dave and I, Drew, Drew picked the Golden Knights, so obviously Drew's the genius, but I don't think we were alone, right? It's not like only three people were picking the Jets. A lot of people thought the Jets could win, and we could sit here all day long and talk about, you know, if Morrissey was healthy, healthy if Shifley was healthy, if, 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 if they had Ehlers for all five games, right? Um, but things were going well, and especially in that first game with the way the Jets played that shutdown defensive style yeah. in Vegas, but then everything fell apart in the next couple of games, right? And then there was that miraculous comeback in game three. But, you know, just getting back, I, re- I really want to ask you. I you know, just want to throw this in, you're bang on. They're their own worst advertisement. They really are. You look at game one, and you're not going to explain to me how that went off the rails that bad by game five. 
and I don't care injuries or not. Like you're, you're your own worst advertisement. The first three months of the season to the next two, like if you didn't show us what you could be, well, except the, the, I don't think people would be upset. Except Rick but Bonus, you did, Rick and you Bonus, should be that good. Rick Bonus answered that himself. He said that when teams elevated their games, we wilted. I mean, that, and that, that's, that's basically what he said. If you want to paraphrase it, as the game got the harder to play, we wilted. And, and that's the part of this I, I don't understand uh, after this many years. And to your point, as in game one, that's why I went with him. You went to Western Conference Final. You got knocked. Oh, so you, wait, you waited for game the result of game one to decide who you were going to pick. Jim. No, no, I picked him before. I picked him before because I mean, this is the other thing. Like, this is going to sign like I'm bashing him. Not you got beat by Lauren Bersois. and I had Trevor Kidd on a show twice during that series, and he's like, he looks so shaky, mm-hmm. and he looks like he's handling a grenade at some points. And you've got Connor Hellebuck, and you can't do what you did in game one and get more pucks to to Lauren Bersois. I mean, I, I don't know, guys. All I've heard all year long was get some pucks to the net and go to the net. Well, the Vegas, but and, Vegas and this team, this team gets well. Vegas makes it harder, so you got to get tougher. Right. And that's what I that's what I think is a disappointment, Drew. Like I, I'm okay with them keeping this core together up until this point. You guys know that all the talk about Shifley, we are all this because I think it takes when you 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 find your six or seven core, you lock them up and you go for it over five or six years. And in that five or six years, you're going to have some success. You're going to have some extreme disappointments. You're going to make the playoffs. You're going to get knocked out in the first round. You're not going to make the playoffs. You're going to have injuries in the bubble in the first game and it de- in your top six, two of them, and it derails your, your series. You bottle all that up, and you go into this year, and it's all experience. We got an injury. We had an injury that last time. We got to be better than what we were then. You get knocked out in the first round. You get down 2-1 in a series after winning game one. Well, we got to do this because we went through this already. This is all the experience. And it was like it was the first time in the first round. And then game five came along, and I'm just like, I, I've seen people skate harder on Sunday at the Forks. And and I just, I think that, um, so I believe in what he's done to this point. I believe in all of this. I do not believe one bit that he's not going to make changes to this. And not just because of the contracts. Um, people forget he tried to make changes last offseason, and everything I've heard is nothing he had offered to him made the team better than what it was now. And so the difference is now they have to make changes. What's going to be offered? Probably going to be a lot more because these are expiring contracts. So sorry to cut you off, Ez, but I just, I think your fabulous point, they're their own worst advertisement. They played game one and they showed everybody how they could play. Now Vegas, to Drew's point, is going to have a pushback, but where's your pushback? That's the key word, right? Like Kenny Weeb said with the line of the, the playoff series, if they'd pushed back as hard as they did in the, on Saturday as they did in the series, they might have won an extra game or two. Saturday morning. You're and, and that's the, the part of like, I know it's easy for us and the fans to sit here and criticize guys and all that. You, you're in the room, uh, Dave, once in a while and stuff. Like it's, you know, it's easy to criticize from afar and then you go in there. That's the part I can't figure out. From, from the players on this team that I covered in the room for five, six years and then from afar – I don't know how you sort of sit like I don't know what they're how you sit back today and let that sit with you. I, I really don't. I, I'm an elite athlete. I can do magnificent things, and I just pull the no show. That's the kind of stuff. Look, I played really low level sports, and there's not a beer leaguer who doesn't rethink the final beer league game. Who when he's like, man, I had seven turnovers and four goals against, and a month from now and. 
you know, they're thinking about it. They're like, man, I can't believe I played that poorly. That's the part that I wonder about. Like, it's it's a cliche, but where's the pride? Saturday. I'm sure I'm sure the three of us have played lower level than your lower lower level of sports, <laughs> by the way, Jim. Saturday morning, you're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live. Our guest is Jim Toth from CJOB Sports discussing the Winnipeg Jets and their end of the season. I mean, I did play Varsity View A1 hockey when I was 16, so I just want to get that in there. But uh, uh, no, Jim, I, I got to ask you. I, mean, I had the reverse, as I went to an alumni soccer tournament for my college team about 12 years ago, and I had the tournament of our life, and we won against a bunch of 20 year olds and I have the re- regressive. I never played that good in college for four years. So I have that regret. Aging like a fine wine. Yeah. Smarter now, I guess. Yeah. No, veteran, not to run. veteran guile is what brought you to the, the, the <laughs> championship. Jim. Okay, so there's so many guys that we could possibly talk about. I mean, everybody knows when you're talking about, you know, the pending UFAs, pending RFAs, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck. And I, I, I've listened to you guys this week. You and Cam have been talking about it. And I think this ties into what we were talking about with, you know, Chevy's press conference or Rick Bonus's press conference, the players. I don't think really anybody knows what the, the first shoe is going to drop. And I, and, and I said this, you know, right before you came on. I think, you know, if some Jets fans are thinking that all four of those guys are going to be traded, then, you know, that's absurd. I just don't, you don't see, like, first off, I don't, I don't think Connor Hellebuck is going to be traded. That's my own personal opinion. I just don't see that happening at, at, at where the Jets are at right now, you don't, you just don't, you just don't see Vesna caliber goalies traded every day. I think Pierre Luc Dubois would probably be at the top of the list, and, and you can chime in and, and you know let me know if you think, or let us know if you think you know Mark Shifley is more likely to be traded. But just putting that aside, to me, and I've said this, and like you know, I might be a broken record here, but I look at that defense, and I think that to me would have to be up there in terms of priority. Like, I think the Jets, Josh Morrissey just had, and I think he should have been a Norris Trophy finalist, and you can throw that into your answer as well. But I think when you look at that Jets defense, for for example, I'm a Devils fan, you know that, Jim. When I look at that Carolina defense with Brent Burns and Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, Brady Shea, Shane Gostisbehere on on the third pair, like, I look at that Hurricanes defense, and, and it's like, it's almost like in a different class. And, and yes, you could argue that, you know, you're picking one of the best top sixes in the entire NHL. But look, look, you can pick Boston or you can pick even, you know, I would take Toronto's top six with, you know, Riley and Brody and Giordano and uh, Liljegren and it goes on and on and on, Luke Shen. But, but I'm looking at that Jets defense and are you not seriously considering moving a Pionk, a Schmidt or a Dylan? To, to free up some space there, like Vili Hainola. When, when is Vili Hainola going to get a turn? I guess I'm throwing a lot at you here, Jim, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, I just, I, in here? I, I look at this Jets defense and, and, you know, like everyone focuses on Dubois and, and Shifley, but I look at that, that Jets defense. And to me, that has to be revamped big time as well. Well, I look, you're right. And, and Paul Edmonds was on uh, my show on CJB on Friday, and he brought up the point that, you know, regardless of all the changes, everything else, there's some contracts due, and every one of those contracts gets a raise. Morgan Barron needs a contract. Morgan Barron's going to get a raise. So when you're talking about moving other pieces to free up some space on the, on, in the cap, I agree with you. Brendan Dillon's a sought-after guy, man. I, I mean, that's the one name that I know that teams keep calling about. And uh, I thought Brendan Dillon had a fabulous season. I thought he had an outstanding playoff. I really did. I thought he came to the forefront and stepped up when Josh Morrissey went down with some minutes. But he was a physical type of – like, playoff time is Brendan Dillon hockey, right? That's why you have him on the team and you need him. But So, guys, I don't know about Hellebuck. 
Uh, I'm as shocking as some of the comments were, he spoke like a man who's done. And the reason I say that here, not that he wants to be, Connor Helbuck loves it here. He's like Dustin Bufflin. He likes fishing. He likes hunting, likes the city, likes the passion. Every time he's a star, he's got his little wrestling movie comes out. Like he likes Winnipeg. I know that. I think he would resign here. But he spoke to me like a guy. And I'll reference the Patrick Line deal. I think they've had discussions. And I think Connor Hellebuck's camp has said, I, I'd be open to it, and here's the number. And it's not a number that fits. And I think probably, Patrick... Probably 10 million, right? And I think, I would think 10. I would think nine and a half to 10. Um, and personally, I'm a guy who I don't think you can, you can do that with your goaltending. I think your goaltending total all in has to cost you eight, maybe $9 million. Speaking of the Carolina Hurricanes, right? Carolina Hurricanes, the Boston Bruins, the, I mean, it just, I mean, look at the $10 million goalies like Sergei Bobrovsky. He's having a run now, but they've, they've had their hands tied with that and going forward are going to. Um, Vasilevsky deserves it. There's not a goalie in the league that doesn't deserve it more than him, but it's costing them depth right now, right? Because it's not his contract so much as other guys came up, Sergeyev and all these other guys that they locked up. And now your idea of having a, a Coleman or a Nick Paul, I know they locked up Nick Paul and stuff, but making those deals of coming in, your rooms run out on those. And so now you're good for him and he deserves it. Mikey Asimont is now your, your two-year deal because that's all the room they have left, right? They, would they like to go get another veteran? Of course they would. They got to go with Asimont. And not that that's bad, but it just it's not the, the usual Tampa Bay thing because they're goaltending. So... But I just, look, I think the same thing happened with Patrick Laine. I know a lot was made if he wanted to be on the number one line. Um, and at the time, he wasn't the number one right winger on this team. He just was not as good both ends of the rink as Blake Wheeler was at that time. But I just kept thinking to myself, man, if you would just wait, you will be the number one right, right winger probably a year ago. Um, but I think he had a number. And I think he put the number out and it just doesn't fit. And I think Connor Hellebuck spoke on Saturday like a guy who's more than willing to stay. But this is the number. This is where it begins with. And I think they've had at least that maybe in January or something conversation. And I think that's why he was speaking the way he is. He's like, unless they do a turnaround and give me the 10 or the nine and a half over eight, I don't, I don't, I, that's why I felt he spoke like, so I wasn't on board with, of the three or four, I thought Connor Hellebuck was the surest possible to stay. And now I'm not on board with that anymore. So, and then you go down the defense, Drew. And I think that, I, I think what's lost in this, we talked about this on Jets at noon too, is there's this idea out there that you're going to trade these guys and get fourth liners back because they have to go in their contracts. That's not the case. If you're trading two number one centers like Shifley and Dubois, you're going to get at minimum a second line center back. And then we'll talk about the defense as, but look around the league, how many teams have success and in the playoffs with second line centers? I would say the Vegas Golden Knights and, and you know, I mean, they mark stone. Yeah. But when they started, it was second and third liners, Seattle Kraken. Um, I'm not trying to sell this. Like you don't want Pierre-Luc Dubois and you don't, but I'm, there's, there might be Kevin Sheveldayoff as much as people don't, isn't dumb. He's really good at, at finding talent. I mean, we all said, who's Neil Pionk when Jacob Trouba was traded? We all said, who's Morgan Barron when Andrew Kopp was traded? Um, so I, I think that he can do some things here and parlay that into other things. And I just think that much like the old adage that you need six top, you know, you need six number top pairing demon uh, on your team to win a Stanley Cup, you don't. 
Look at the decors that are in the second round. Look at the decors that have won Stanley Cups in Tampa Bay. Zach Bogosian was on one. Ron Hainsey won a cup in, in Pittsburgh. The idea that you need six stud D-men to win a Stanley Cup, I think that's antiquated now. And the idea that you need top five elite goaltending is antiquated now. And I've just come on board with that the last two years. If you look at who the goalies are, like if you have a top five goalie in a Vesna caliber, do you want to, you want him on your team? But do you need him to win the Stanley Cup? And I don't think you do. I think you need a top 12 goalie in the league. And if you can go get one and play better in front of him, you can do it. So i just not on board that. I, I, I don't believe that there isn't going to be changes. And I believe that those changes will be all-encompassing. Um, I think he wants to keep two of the four. And he's going to desperately try to. And I think on the D-line, he is. I think the Villanova thing is awesome, guys. And I'll be quick with this one. But... It's masterful what Kevin Sheveldayoff has done with this. He is going to play on the NHL when he's more than NHL ready on an ELC. And when I say it's not an actual ELC, he needs a contract and he has nothing on his resume. So what's he going to get? He's going to get a two to three year deal at maybe a mill, mill in a little bit. And then if he's like more than NHL ready, like we all think he is, then his next contract. And that's what Kevin Sheveldayoff will do. Jacob Truba left after six years. The average salary they paid him was $3 million. A number one pairing D-man for six years at $3 million. That's what Billy Hainola is going to be. By the time his six years runs out or seven years, the most they're probably going to have paid him over the seven years is 3 to $4 million. And I get it. That's why Logan Stanley wants out. That's why Billy Hainola asked for a trade because they're sitting here going, their agent is telling them, you have a contract coming up and you have no resume, I cannot get you anything more than 10, 20% more than what you're making. You need to ask for a trade. We need to get you out of here. We need to get you something on your resume and playing time. Is it the right thing to do? <laughs> if you're a small market team and Kevin Sheveld day off, it's the greatest thing you can do because now Brendan Dillon's do, Nate Schmidt's do. You deal those guys and bring something back in for them. And then you have Billy Hainola slide in on a basically a two-year deal at, $1.2 million. I, I think that's how you GM. I know. Interestingly enough, Jim, uh, Billy Hinola is still waiver exempt for next year. So uh, they can, they can still play around with that one as much as he'll much to his chagrin uh, will be, could potentially still find. And, and I know. And that's, I, I don't know. Like I, if, I, I will say this though, if he was, he's ready, I think from what all indications, and I don't know, I just follow the illegal curve and a guy named Dave Manuk who tells me he is. So uh, that guy could <laughs> be up the line. That guy might know nothing. I don't know, but for whatever reason, I got blind trust in him. The boost insider um, outsider. <laughs> but so like, I'm just trying to say that if Billy Hinola could have came in this year and made a difference, why wouldn't they use him? Like they, they were going for it this year, right? Like, this was, they know the situation. Um, like, the Axel Janssen-Fialbi contract's up again, like the Eric Comrie one was. And I, I, I'm sorry, like Eric Comrie and people who, for the first two months of the season, hammered in my head, they screwed that up. I don't know that they screwed it up. Um, and then, yeah, Axel Janssen-Fialbi, sure, he's going to a free agency, but you call Axel Janssen-Fialbi and offer him a million dollars over two years or two-year, $2 million, he's not going to resign here. So... I would have given him an extra game for sure to protect that. Right. But um, I, and I know I, I sound like I'm defending it and I do want to, this team needs to make changes. This team needs to, um, I still believe in Blake Wheeler on the ice. I still believe he's a second line guy. He put up 50 some points in 60 games and I'll argue who is a better forward in the playoffs. 
that's kind of the problem with this mix, right? Blake Wheeler for years took it for life and death. And he even admitted that he took it home and it was bothering him at home in front of his family and everything. And then there's some other guys in this core that do not take it like life and death. And there's no in between. And so, but it's it's clearly still Blake Wheeler's team. I, I think they need to move him on. And I heard you guys before I came on. The shocking part of Saturday to me was when Adam Lowry and Kyle Connor were on board with what was being said. Um, because Adam Lowry, I know, if he didn't agree with it, he would not say it. He's a pretty straight shooter, an honest guy, and he's disagreed with some things that his teammates have said before and never had a problem with it and been okay with, you know, that as well. Uh, Blake Wheeler's got to go, whether it's a buyout or they trade him or, or whatever they work out. But I And I look, there's a part in this season where I thought he might retire. The Blake Wheeler I know might go, that's a horrific injury again, I and, you know, but I, the one thing I agree with Blake Wheeler with is his year-end assessment is he he never took a shift off and he never played his, you know what, off and and literally cost not to be funny because that's a horrific injury. It really cost him one this year and he still came back and played in that game. So um, I think that should be his legacy. But it is time to move on and and it's time to move on from five or six years. I think when he's out of that room, um, the Lowrys will take over the Morrisseys and, and things like that. I don't, um, so they need to make some changes. And I, I think if you, like people think if whoever they trade Shifley to, he's got to sign long-term. No, he doesn't. Colorado, Carolina would love an 80 point guy for one year at six mil with no more obligation. Well, Jimmy, you know, the, I, you know, going back to Blake Wheeler, cause that's kind of was my curiosity as well from the Saturday conversations was this idea of, well, he was still the captain in our eyes. And not one guy said it. Numerous guys spoke to the idea that he was still the captain. So what did you achieve exactly? And I, look, hockey's all about loyalty. And none of these guys, it's like talking about making changes. Which one of these guys are going to advocate for changes, given the fact that you're essentially saying, sure, trade away these guys. They're not good enough. Nobody is going to be disloyal and say that. Similarly, nobody's going to be disloyal and say, yeah, we didn't think of Blake Wheeler's. I mean, not that they wouldn't vo- vocalize that they were, you know, interested in being captain or anything like that. I'm surprised the way they they vocalized their support for Blake Wheeler because that was somewhat unexpected and not necessarily what the question was even being asked. So that was, you know, uh, of their own volition, they they supplied that answer. But given that, given that response, because the whole idea was, you know, I, again, I think it was to insulate Blake Wheeler from the media. It was to insulate the media from Blake Wheeler. So I think it achieved its goal. He didn't speak as often. He spoke, a little, you know, quite a, uh, quite a lot less this year as he's done in the past. But one of the things you saw was the, or they, I think the organization expected or wanted was that someone would step up. And obviously Adam Lowry, Josh Morrissey, those are the two guys, as he mentioned earlier, those are the two guys that everyone expects to step up and assume the C. But given the way hockey is played and given this idea of loyalty, how do these guys do that? to the point where we've been talking about with Blake Wheeler still in the room. Well, that obviously it didn't. And maybe that's a miscalculation, right? I, I, I think that they calculated right that Blake wouldn't be happy about losing the captaincy. It's a sense of pride. And he, he took a lot of pride in, in doing that um, and, and being the captain of the Winnipeg Jets, not just because of the guys in the room, but he has a lot of pride in, in being the leader of, of the Winnipeg Jets and in the National Hockey League. Um, but you're right. Maybe they miscalculated that part of it and they clearly did. And what tells me that guys is so him and Connor Hellbuck spoke first and said what they said. And then it trickled down. That's just a team. You know, did you hear what coach said? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And Blake says what he feels and everybody goes, that's what I feel too. And it's not Blake telling them this is what we should do. And this is what we feel in my point. It's just, he's Blake Wheeler. And that's what he means to this team. And so when he goes, I didn't like that. 
a lot of other guys go, I didn't like that. Next year, if he's not around and somebody goes, I didn't like that, it's just, it's that atmosphere of somebody goes, I didn't mind it. I just don't know if like, because they respect him. And that's what's lost in this, right? Is fans don't, and I'm not in that room, but fans don't get that. They like each other. They're friends. That's why last year when this was falling apart and Stasny was talking and all that, everybody said they hate each other. It's an awful room. I'm like, that's not the problem. The problem is they're not happy with each other and they do like each other. Otherwise, it would be holding each other more accountable. There's a very big difference there, right, Jim? They're all friends. They're all like this whole idea of, hey, Mark, can you back check? Yeah, sorry, I should have picked him up. Okay, are we going for lunch? Yeah, let's go for lunch. The, because they like each other. It's it's the idea of, hey, Mark, can you back check? Yeah, I will. No, well, you better. And I'll see you tomorrow. And and like they like each other too much. They're friends. It's not they hate each other. It's that like any people that like each other, when you disagree, you sort of soften a little bit on your pushback and and towards each other. So uh, I do think he, he does have to go. But I, I do think that one point, he, they'll, his jersey will be in the rafters for all he's done over 12 years for this team. But it just, it, it, I think they misunderstood how, and I don't think Blake was, vo- like, even on the ice a lot of times, guys, I saw he wanted, there was a couple times games I was at that something was going on with the ref, and he was leaning on the wall, and then he went to go, and he took two skates, and then he turned back and tapped his stick, like, that's not me anymore, not like, that's not my role, and, and that's, you know, as much as it is for the guys to get it out of their head that he's not the captain, it's hard for him too, right? And then the guys are seeing him working hard to get rid of that, and what do you do when your friend's doing that? You feel bad for him, and you're like, hey, man, what do you think about this? And and so I, I just think it's time for him to go. Um, and and I think the, the room, you know, will sort of work itself out with leadership. You can hear more from Jim Toth weekly or every weekday, I should say, on CJOB 680 Radio, Jets at Noon with Jim and Cam Poitras Monday through Friday. Jim Toth. Always a Don't forget about the Jim Toth show as well, Drew. Come on. That's what I said. I said you can hear from Jim all week long on CBS. Who's Radio. leading this this crew? There's disconnect here right yeah, now. Who's right. Gonna... <laughs> you know, yeah. I, 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 I didn't. I, I didn't like the way Drew did that. I, I was disgusted. Disgusted and dismayed. Just before I go, because I I appreciate your guys' opinion too. Do you guys think there'll be change? Like I I didn't buy that there will be. I just yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. hard to go through how to do it and. But I, I look, I think that even Connor Hellebuck on a one-year deal at $6 million, what team wouldn't – there's teams like Boston that will, you know, mm-hmm. we can we have Swayman. He's the future. If we could have a bona fide Vesna caliber for one year and then hand it to Swayman and have them both. That contract, get, get, I agree this with you. That contract, contract is huge. Talk about underpaid players. I mean, we could, we could talk about this all day long about how Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor – and Josh Morrissey are, are underpaid, but I think probably at the top of that list is Hellebuck. Um, I do think there are going to be changes, Jim. I just don't think that there's going to be scorched earth changes like some fans want. I think there's a really good chance Pierre-Luc Dubois could be traded as earlier as early as you know prior to the draft. I think it'll be um, the lowest and, hanging fruit. I yeah. mean, you know, that's what Kevin Sheveldayoff's MO has always been: is make the make the lowest hanging fruit trade. So you know. You know, you, you have to know by now or within a month or so if Pierre-Luc Dubois has any intention of signing here. Yeah. I think we all think the answer is no to that. So you make that trade, which is, you know, your hand is being forced. Kevin Sheveldayoff only makes moves when his hand is, is being forced. So but say say they do – so say Hellebuck says it's 10. And he's yeah. like, I can't do that. I can do eight. And he's like, no way. 
You got to move him. Deserves right? ten, by the way. Like if any goalie in the league deserves it, it's him. You've got to move him, right? So then you think of, I don't know, Detroit, and you send him to Detroit, and you get Billy Huso back as a goalie. You get a second line guy back and a pick, and then you look at du- Dubois and go, uh, yes or no? Like here's and that that's the guy I would at that age. I would go. Do you want nine and a half? Do you want but it? Is he worth nine and a half? I mean, so many games. You, you have to gamble. Oh, absolutely on it. not. You that's have too high. You have to gamble on it because somebody else is. And if it, whatever it is, eight and a half. Sure, and if he says no, then whatever. Kirby Doc, mm-hmm. two picks, and then you come back and you have these three first round picks. Can we get Wi Fi as well, Jim, in that deal. And you get you get Kirby Doc. You got Billy Huso as a goalie, and you take those picks and you look to somebody like Carolina and go, "What do you want?" For Shifley on a one-year deal to score seventy-five points for you, and you don't and have get to you over the and you don't have, and you don't have to re-sign him. Well, and Ron Brindamore will rip his shirt off, and Mark will play defense because he's like, "Holy cow, this guy's gonna be three goals off." Or here. he won't, and all the line mates and everyone around him will compensate for him, right? And and the other thing is, there's a guy named Paul Stasny there who who might kibosh this deal and go, "I wouldn't, you know, whatever. Yeah, I would invest in a guy, but whatever." Like I'm just throwing this out. So if you deal those three things. The return on itself isn't that bad. It's not number one centers, but it's number twos and number one goalies. And then you have these picks that you can parlay into, let's go get this guy, that guy, and augment this lineup with Connor, Ehlers, Morrissey, Lowry, Morgan Barron. You got um, Nikita they just signed. You've got Cole Perfetti. Like, I'm just saying, I, I, I think, like, this team looks sexy on paper, and it just doesn't perform. I think a team that looks much less sexy could perform better. Well, like, like, like Jim, you Vegas's lineup with Eichel and Stone, fair enough. But anybody else in that doesn't look sexy to me. The Seattle Kraken lineup does not look sexy to me. The Calgary Flames lineup, like there's teams that you can sort of, I think you can augment this lineup and you might be giving up 20 to 30 goals a year, but you might be keeping out 40. And I think you can go forward that way. And I that's why I don't think it's a rebuild or anything. And then Well, it's do they have the does the general manager have the, uh, the does he have it within Hutzpah. him to make those bold strokes that you just wherewithal. you just said? The well, and it's it's gotta be the other thing is, is the guys like so even if you call Detroit and you go down the list, then you gotta eliminate the ones with no trades. And then you gotta eliminate and then you maybe talk to like it's just it's it's tough, but I, I I, I understand why people think Kevin Chimeldayev never does anything. I think he does things when, when he wants to do them. Not when he's forced to do them, but when he wants to. And when he had, even if you think he's been forced to, has it not never worked out? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, 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 the shining light for people. To like he was, he was, to. he was forced with Kane. Mm-hmm. That's the force. There was no way at that point he was going to dress again. He wasn't forced with line A, but his hand was being pushed, and he did okay. So I, I think that there's teams out there. I think that the, there's some smart moves. I just don't think it's a rebuild. I think I don't think Winnipeg can ever rebuild. They they have to retool all the time. I agree and that's, with you 100%. That's the way he signs the contracts. Every two to three years, core pieces come up. And the next two to three years are going to be Ehlers and Connor and, and um, Morrissey's here for another five, but Lowry and stuff like that. And then by then you have your Perfetti's, your Rector Magori's, your Chaz Lucius's. It's a three-year window, and I think he does that very well. And But I, I agree with you and most of the fans that it's it's time for a change. I think he will change it. 
I said this last week on the show. I think this market will pay money and and buy those 3,000 tickets to watch the Nito Niederreiters and the Adam Lowry's work their ass off every night as opposed to spend more money and, and hope that high-end caliber skilled players decide to show up or not. I agree with that. Jim Toth, CJOB Sports. Jimmy, thank you, buddy. Appreciate thank you joining you for us listening. this morning. Our pleasure. Thank you for uh, thank you for serenading us with your opinions this morning. It's always appreciated. Uh, thanks, Jim. We owe you some pops on a patio. We're going to hit it up real soon, and we're going to show wow. off some guns, See, off guns on the patio. I, I work for less, so I look forward to it. Have a good show, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. There he goes, Jim Toth, joining us this morning. Before we go to break, we want to make mention of the 49th annual Rady JCC Sports Dinner coming up June 19th. Eddie the Eagle. 2023 ed belfort chris chelios jeremy roenick all in conversation three legendary members of the chicago blackhawks will be here in winnipeg is mike Speaking, keenan going to be in winnipeg as well I, i'm not sure mike keenan's just coming to cross check you and, and make sure you don't get anywhere near the stage if he is as well but yes some legendary members of the chicago blackhawks in town june 19th tickets available radyjcc.com and for more information at radyjcc.com big thanks to the Rady JCC Sports Dinner for their sponsorship here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. When we come back, much more Jets talk. We got Brian Munns talking about the Western Hockey League Championship bound uh, Winnipeg ice at the bottom of the hour. Let Don't go anywhere Saturday morning. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. 
Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs from restorative to cosmetic dentistry and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Welcome back. Saturday morning, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. How do you like that? 75 straight minutes of hockey talk to start the show. Jim Coates, always loquacious. That's nothing, Drew. Remember the time, of course you do, you were there. Remember the time when we couldn't go to break? I'm pretty sure we did like two and a half hours straight. I don't even know how that was possible, but I remember we couldn't go to break. There were some technical difficulties. This was back Uh, at the the old radio station. That was Rory Gorin, shout out to Rory McGoran, who's with the Humboldt Broncos now, play-by-play yeah. voice for the Humboldt Broncos. Um, I remember we couldn't go to break. The whole so, yeah, that was fun, 75 pros. minutes. Jimmy was going to the buffet today, boys. It's true. I have my buffet as closed sign here. I should have brought it up. Yeah. So that might be that might be reserved for Kenny. We'll have, we'll have Mr. Weeb on the show coming up in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. But, yes, I remember that as the, the entire, you know, just to tell you what the, the quality of programming, quality of equipment we were dealing with with our friends at Bell Media, uh, the entire thing just shut down and nobody could do anything uh, in terms of sending it to break or playing any audio. It was just us talking nonstop for hours on end because and then a few years hard. later they literally shut us down yeah exactly so it was just thanks, a precursor. thanks again for that bell yeah it was a, it was a precursor to the inevitable end but that's okay uh gentlemen so much hockey talk so much jets talk to continue let me ask you guys this we everyone knows yes the, the devils are going to come back and win the series i don't think they are but uh everyone knows the priorities for this team or 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 what's front and center at least facing this Winnipeg Jets team uh, this offseason. From your perspective, if you had to rank the priorities, what's a top I knew this priority? Was coming. I knew it was coming. I told Good. Dave I knew this was coming. This is such a, a classic Mendel question. But, yeah, I mean, go ahead, finish, Drew. But I think, I think everybody knows where I'm going to go at least. I was finished, but I wanted to hear from Dave first for once instead of you, King Ginsburg uh, uh, of Winnipeg. So, Dave, you can start the conversation because Ginsburg's talking too much. Well, that's a good question, Drew. Thank you for uh, throwing it to me first. It's a rare uh, honor to, yeah. to be the first to to, to join the buffet. I'm already uh, plotting not, the overthrow of the monarch. Uh, yeah, the not having Ezzy sticky fingers uh, grabbing the chicken already out of the buffet and then touching all of it. And anyways... Look, I, I think the number one priority for this Jets organization is figuring out the direction you're going to go, figuring out which way you want this to look. And ultimately, I, I think the biggest, probably not necessarily a disservice, but I think the biggest problem for this Jets team, st- scheduling the way they, the meetings the way they did was I think they needed to have, Kevin Sheveldayoff needed to have a conversation with his with his top four to six guys. And say this is the direction we're taking with this organization. So everybody would appear to be on the same page, and I think that's the problem. That was the message that came out from the organization, from the player story last week. Was nobody really knew the direction of this ship? And to me, that's a problem when you're when you have a team and you have players, and these are all players who have been in your organization for years, and they're like, well, you know, if it goes this way, then like, no, you should know that this is the direction of the team, unless you've been told otherwise then this is the direction. Everybody is pulling in this one direction to go to this destination. But it didn't seem like that was the message. It wasn't a unified message. It was more of a, you know, an uncertainty. 
And obviously things can change just because you say, this is our plan. It doesn't mean you have to adhere to that plan and you can't amend it accordingly, you know, based on changing situations. So for me, the, the number one priority is to figure out what your, your trajectory is going to be for this club and what you believe this club is going to be and be an honest evaluator of how you think this team can be. And again, I don't anticipate and I don't expect that Kevin Sheveldayoff was going to air that on Sunday when he spoke with us. I just expect that he will you know, have his meetings with the Jets management and the Jets uh, ownership and say, this is what we're planning on doing. This is the path I've charted for us you know, and then go with it and try and adhere to that. And so, yeah, I mean, look, they're going to have to figure some things out because what you can't do from a, from an organizational standpoint is poor asset management. And you lost Johnny Kovacevic last year and people say, well, what's the big deal? Well, he played 65 games for Montreal and from all uh, reports, he did quite well, you know, his big six foot, six foot two, six foot three, right shot defenseman who can play you know, steady minutes. That's not a bad thing for a Jets organization. It does has a dearth of, of, of uh, talent on the right side, especially, sorry, uh, coming up. And so I should say paucity as opposed to a dearth. But the point is that you need to be able to be aware of like, listen, you know, Vili Hinola, like I said earlier, boys, he's waiver exempt. But Declan Chisholm isn't. Leon Gavanke isn't. And those guys, you're essentially going to lose for nothing if you put them on waiver. There is a 0% chance a guy who was an AHL All-Star or a guy who scored 20 goals in the AHL as a defenseman are, are going to pass through waivers next year. So you have to figure out which direction your organization is going to go. And, and the idea of allowing the Blake Wheeler situation to, to manifest itself. And ultimately that failed, that failed as an organization because the entire team, even if they didn't really believe it still said they still see him as the captain. So you need to resolve that situation, you know, figure out how that's going to be. And, and again, we don't believe that Blake Wheeler hasn't done everything he needed to do on the ice for this team in order for them to win. The guy you can call, accuse the guy of doing being a lot of things, but his desire for winning is, is to me at least is I mean again how he gets there is one thing, but there's no question you can't question the guy's passion and 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 desire to be a to be a winner. And so I think ultimately you have to resolve that situation with Blake Wheeler, and you have to figure out what the path forward is going to be with Connor Hellebuck because ultimately look Dominic Divincentis who is you know, ripping it up in the OHL. His North Bay Battalions won game five uh, yesterday over the Peterborough Pete. So they're potentially going to be in the OHL championship if they can win game six. He looks OHL goaltender of the year last week. He looks really good, but he's a ways away from being a ways away. He's not in the NHL anytime soon. So the fact of the matter is you need some to figure out what your goaltending plan is going to be because you don't have a tremendous amount of depth in that position. And you're sure you can acquire guys. Of course, but but you're not going to acquire someone as he and have that plus the same decor because you're right. I'm with you. I think that if you could improve this decor and do that through maybe, you know, changing some of your your forward depth, you're going to have to do that. But ultimately, to me, if you're going to say, what's your top priority? It's figuring out the direction and then charting that path. And I think it'll be Blake Wheeler, number one, Connor Hellebuck, number two, Pierre-Luc Dubois, number three. That's who you think is going in that order you, you expect to be traded, Dave? Not traded necessarily, but resolved in some capacity. So you're going to figure out that situation. I think Blake Wheeler, you're going to figure out what your path with him is going to be, whether you're going to do a buyout, because if you buy him out, you know, you're going to have, you're going to free up some money for next year. So it'll be, it'll be an opportunity there to have money to use elsewhere, boys. But, and then Connor Hellebuck, you have to figure out what you're going to do, because as you said it on the show earlier, you're not going into next year with all of this uncertainty and all of these guys under in the last year of their deal. So you have to resolve this. To me, 
before our favorite time of the year, Eddie, as he, any Enzi, before our favorite time of the year, which is the draft. Yeah. And, and by the way, if, if Chevy does trade Connor Hellebuck, could you please do it Chevy on a Saturday around eight 30? That would be, that would yeah. be great for us. But you know, going back to what you said, and, and you're right, Dave, like the direction and the vision, I think we're going to find that out, you know, probably sooner than some people think. Um, but I, I still think, and, and look, I think there was a good chance Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be traded even before that performance in game five. But to me, that that sealed the deal. And I, I don't know if he's going to be traded, you know, at the draft or if he's going to be traded in the summer. Look, nobody really knows at this point because we've never had this, guys. In the 12 years of covering this team, we've never had a year in which we expect, you know, two top-line centers, the Jets franchise goaltender, and the Jets franchise player, who Jim mentioned. Like, one day Wheeler's name will be hanging, you know, beside Thomas Steen and, and Tamu Solani. He's had that big of an impact. Uh, no player has had, maybe with the exception of Connor Hellebuck, nobody's had that big, uh, as much of an impact on, on Jets 2.0. But going back to what I said before... Pierre-Luc Dubois, to me, makes the most sense just because, you know, this has been lingering on for some time now, guys. And we don't know how close the Jets were to trading Dubois last year. But I just don't think that you can go, you know, into August or go into September without having that situation resolved. So I still think he's the likely, most likely to be traded. And in terms of the other players, I, like, I have no, absolutely no idea. Like, could the Jets look to move Mark Shifley? Sure. But it's just like, how how hard is that trade going to be? Because... I don't think you can trade Mark Shifley for anything but a, you know, a top one, top two center. So it's really hard to say, but I think going back to kind of what we were talking about before, there's more to it than just the core four. Like the defense needs improvements. I think the bottom uh, couple lines need improvements, right? Like when you're talking about, you know, Axel Janssen Fialbi, or you're talking about Kevin Stenland or Saku Manalainen, Manalainen, and I think Stenland, if I'm not mistaken, is a pending RFA as well. I'd have to check. I don't know if he has another year on his contract, but Manalainen is an RFA. There you go. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys. And Manalainen's UFA. You're right. So, Manalainen's, but, you know, they're either UFAs or RFAs. So, what's right. your fourth line? What are, are any of these guys coming back? Is a Carson Kuhlman coming back? No. Is he a 13th forward? Like, you're going to have – Chevy you're... has a lot of work to do beyond just whether or not he's going to trade Dubois, Shifley, or Wheeler. Look, the bottom of the roster, and I mean, this, and this shouldn't be – I mean, it, it's something that the Jets need to address, but the bottom of the roster clearly does isn't up to snuff compared to some of the other playoff teams and the contributions they're getting from uh, from the bottoms of their roster. I mean, by the way, when Mikey Asimov signs for two years in Tampa Bay, isn't I mean, look, we thought it was a mistake for the Jets to lose him for nothing to begin with, and then Tampa makes a two-year commitment to him. Doesn't that just scream that they've made even a further mistake? Just given that you know, just based strictly based on the track record of the franchise, if Tampa Bay is making a two-year, there's no doubt that, a that's guy. a shame. That I mean, I mean, we talked about it early on in the season. Essimont was one of the most impressive Jets in the bottom six, right? Right. So I mean, look, we have to move on, right? Essimont's a member of the Lightning organization, but you're absolutely right, and Johnny Kovacevic as well, right? Like well, Kovacevic would look good as your you know, bottom pairing right shot defenseman or your seventh defenseman, whatever you want to say. Like, and, and again, to throw out another name, Logan Stanley, we know he requested a trade. Is Logan Stanley going to be back with the Jets next year? I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that's get, that gets thrown in, in in a trade. Well, he's RFA as well. I mean, again, he is with, with, with minimal leverage or anything along those lines. But I mean, the, the, those are the small potato issues yeah. when there are huge matzo balls that need to be, uh, you know, addressed first and foremost. And it, it's, you know, 
uh, to me, I just don't know how you how Pierre Luc Dubois can still be a member of this team. It just there, there just doesn't seem to be any path to it. He doesn't want to be here. I mean, I'm you know, and I don't know that for a fact. He hasn't told me, but you can read the tea leaves and everything else. It seems like that's sort of priority number one. And then Connor Hellebuck, you know, you have to figure that one out as well. I mean, there's so much about this team. Uh, that's that that's unanswerable so far and the problem is you have a general manager uh, who's tasked with figuring all this stuff out and I think a lot of people would feel that he's not the right guy in charge of making those decisions but you know obviously it doesn't even matter anymore because clearly Chevy's Chevy's not going anywhere so everybody that you know thinks that Chevy might be fired it's just not going to happen it might happen down the road but it's definitely not happening in the near future and then never mind the coaching uh, aspect, which we talked about earlier, where Rick Bonus, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, there, there needs to be mending of, of fences, I would agree, I would argue, based on the end of season comments. I think they should everyone. go to Penticton this year. They went to Banff last year. So maybe if they go to Penticton, that, they would, do. that would be a better the, the young, That's where the Young Stars tournament will be, is in Penticton, as per usual. I don't think uh, that the, I don't think that'll be uh, the deciding factor. Sorry, Kelowna, David, maybe, maybe Dennis can have some of the boys over at his house. Yeah, Dennis can have Dennis can hold the retreat. Look, I, 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 you know, Drew, you. It's funny you made a comment, and I thought to myself, that's interesting because you said, "Who cares about the fourth line?" But wouldn't the Jets be a different club if they actually had? Who cares about the? No, 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 no. But you just said it's small potatoes. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be interesting if the Jets were finally a team that actually had a fourth line that had an identity? Because for sure. Of course, but that's look at Vegas. Look mm-hmm. at these teams that actually do have fourth lines. Look at the Islanders. I know the Islanders didn't have a ton of success this year, but the fact is, look at the, these teams that have an identifiable fourth line that has some sort of identity that brings something that isn't in, like interchangeable and really unremarkable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an area that we've always that goes to the idea of depth and that idea of the Jets needing to do that. Look, there's there's a lot of things that the Jets have to figure out this year and this summer and it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch boys and we're going to of course be there every step of the way whether it's in-game media stuff or whether it's just remote but yeah i mean this this team has got to figure it out from a lot of different perspectives i mean look the fan base is pissed off we post this stuff and like i said like the comments boom 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 you see them these aren't just yahoos who have nothing better to do these are the people who buy your tickets and who support your product listen to the fans the fans know I'm not saying that you have to make, listen to the fans when it comes to hockey de- decisions, but ultimately, if you want the fans to spend the money on your product, yeah. then you need to do a good job of selling your product to the fans because it's no longer the idea that, hey, the NHL's back in Winnipeg. Just be happy the NHL's back in Winnipeg. That that notion should have been gone a long time ago. It is gone. And ultimately, now, if you want... Look, we're out of a pandemic. It's, you know, it, it, it on is... On the front page is. of today's paper, it says it is over. Sure, that's great. But you know it's not over? Is that it's actually not- on the front page of the paper? Yeah, because the WHO declared... Yeah, because whatever. Uh, the point I'm making... Like, we got to go quick because Brian's going to be on soon. It the point, the point I'm trying to make... over. The point I'm making is that it might be over the ramifications of it being over aren't necessarily the case. People are still struggling financially. So yeah. you want people to put their money... Into not me, Dave. Product. I just bought a Lambo. No, I was never referencing you, uh, the king. Don't worry about that. But the fact of the matter is a lot of people are struggling. And so if you want them to put their money into your entertain their entertainment dollars into your product, entertain them and be honest with them and give them what they what they deserve, at least in this market. 
I would agree with that. Exactly right. It's at some point in time, their ticket, you need to do something for your ticket buying public. And that's where the Jets failed so miserably last week with the exit interviews. When we come back, the Winnipeg Ice are off to the Western Hockey League Championship. They're ready for Munzee. We talked to Brian Munz about the ice. He's the voice of the ice. We talked to him up next. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday morning. We're live on all of our social media channels. Bottom of hour number two. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg with you on this Saturday morning. And we're pleased to welcome to the program the voice of the Winnipeg Ice. He looks like he's a coach getting ready for his press conference. Brian Munz joins us on the show. Munzy, good morning. How are things? None of you three will start game one. That's just clear <laughs> the air right now. That we wouldn't expect anything different. Might want but... some size of Ezzy on the back end, but, uh... <laughs> but he's not he's not quite yeah, I, plus. Yeah, I got that buff type of weight. That, there you go. Yeah. How are you, man? We're doing well. How about yourself? Good. It's great. Good. You're getting ready. You got a, you got a championship series coming up. That's got to be pretty exciting for you and the rest of the team at the ice. Yeah, it's what they've built for for the last number of years, right? And uh, it's been a process all the way through. And you think back, and obviously I wasn't around this team. It's only been two years for me. And how fortunate to be around a club that's won 50-plus games on back-to-back seasons. and. Mm-hmm. Get a chance to be into the final two now and wait to see if it's Seattle or Kamloops. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a ton of fun. Great group of kids. Obviously, the coaching staff and management uh, have put something special here together in Winnipeg. And I know the city's excited about game one and two coming up this weekend. So it's uh, it's a great time of the year. Yeah, so a, a big gap. Obviously, the, the the ice took care of Saskatoon in four straight. Yeah. Uh, you know, really a, a dominant, uh, convin- you know, dominant effort in winning those four games. You know, how was the gap between the end of that series and then the upcoming start of the Western Hockey League Championship? How's the team sort of been filling that significant gap between games? Yeah, I think they learned uh, Drew from round one against Medicine Hat. Obviously, uh, they were able to eliminate a Tiger club in four games who's Mm -hmm. up and coming and and obviously are going to be a great team in years to come. But Winnipeg and Medicine Hat were kind of at two different ends of the cycle right now. And boy, they've got some young talent that's going to be fantastic to watch here in the future. But, uh, you know, I I think it was nice where they've gone through pretty much this same gap already and had success with it going into the Moose Jaw series, which was uh, a heck of a challenge against the Warriors, obviously. So, you know, coming out of the four straight wins over Saskatoon, they've, I, you know, I think I would look at it for the most part and in talking to James Patrick and Terrace McEwen here that it's been just kind of, uh, you know, hit reset and resume to uh, to what they were able to do. So they had, uh, so how did it break out? We finished the game on Wednesday night in Saskatoon, bust back. We got home about 8 a.m. Uh, I think it was right around 8 o'clock in the morning. We traveled through the night, obviously. Uh, they had Thursday and Friday off where you could just kind of get yourself uh, away from hockey a little bit. And and they're on the ice of practice here as we speak right now. That's why you're stuck with me and not one of the players. <laughs> We're happy to have you on, Lindsay. There you go. Got to ask you about Matthew Savoy. There's no shortage of players on this team that we could talk about. But right off the bat, I mean, his numbers in the playoffs are, are Connor Bedard-esque. And, and I don't think you or anybody else in the ice organization is surprised. He was a ninth overall pick. Buffalo Sabres. He's one of the one of the best young players um, out out there right now. But just how impressive has he been? I mean, he, he was great during the regular season as well. But he's just elevating his game to a, a two point per game level. 
Yeah, as he, he's the real deal. And, you know, I think the best part about this group right now is it's not just one player. Like, you know, we're not going to go through all the lines because it's that time of the year. But uh, I think overall, when you when you look at the elite that Matt and Jake have been able to build with this roster right now, you know, Savoy, Geeky, Benson, stop Chuck Peterson, McLennan, the list goes on and on as to uh, the players they have right now. But if you want to single out the year that Matt has, and, you know, the Buffalo Sabres have spent a lot of time in Winnipeg here uh, this season. Adam Mayer has been in town a ton. Uh, they've had some other pro scouts that uh, have spent a lot of time involved in their player development as well. And it's the same as Arizona with Connor Geeky. The Ottawa Senators have been around for uh, Rosacco Stopchuk, obviously, and Carson Latimer. We've seen, you know, some of the Minnesota guys. Matt Hedricks, the former Jet, spent a ton of time here around Carson Lambos. Uh, so it, it's been it's been intriguing to watch. And and I guess the cool part for me, and this isn't about me, but I've seen, you know, the NHL level. And I've seen the American League. So I've kind of seen what is coming up for these guys. So to watch it kind of now from the ground up, it uh, it's really cool. And being, you know, a member of the organization, you, you know, I'm the guy that sets all this stuff up for them. So I see kind of what they're going through behind the scenes compared to just kind of waiting on the outside for a player to come out for an interview. And uh, and and where I'm going with this is to watch Matthew and Connor and Carson and all these guys develop both on and off the ice, right? Because there's a ton of stuff that goes on with these players, especially at this age. Like, we've got to all remember, these are 16 to 20-year-old players, Right. Like when we look at the most of the Jets or whatever pro organization you're a favorite fan of, you know, all of those players, by the time you see them, have gone through this already. We're now we're, we're and they're managing school and college studies and all that kind of thing. So uh, it, it's been really neat. But, yeah, Matt's brought his game to uh, just the next level. I think once World Juniors came to an end and he wasn't involved in that program for this year. Uh, you know, we haven't talked a lot about it, but I think it's fair to say that he wanted to prove everybody. And hey, let's be honest, Canada won, so you can't critique what uh, what they did. We probably <laughs> had three teams. Um, I think Matt wanted to show that he is is an elite junior player amongst his peers, and boy, he's done that. And you know, it, it's obvious the the line that's been together kind of all the way through the playoffs here has been Matt Savoy, Zach Benson, and Connor McLennan, and the speed and the skill that uh, those three players bring together is uh, it's so fun to watch. Well, Munzi, that, that's what I want to ask you about is Zach Benson, because he is, he's just an exciting young player and he's 17 years old, you know, looks like he'll be a top five for sure. Top 10 draft pick at the upcoming uh, NHL draft in Nashville. You know, he suffered, I believe it was against the Edmonton Oil Kings in the regular season I, that he suffered that injury and he was out for a bit. How important has he been for the team this year and, and specifically getting him healthy and being ready to play in the playoffs? Yeah, he uh, he's special, right? Like everyone, obviously, and rightfully so, talks about what Connor Bedard did this year with Regina, the points that he put up, what he did on the international stage. But you know, Zach Benson's expected to be the next Western Hockey League player behind Bedard go this summer in Nashville for the draft. So he uh, he does it all, right? Like, first of all, he's, and much like Savoy and Geeky and Lambos and, and all these guys, like he he lives and breathes the game. Like there's there's not a lot that Zach Benson doesn't do in his game day that doesn't involve the game of hockey, so uh, you know he's he's kind of your rank rat. Always wants to be around. He's always watching. He's a huge Oiler fan, so like he is so invested right now in the Stanley Cup playoffs 
that, uh, you know, every, every con he doesn't like golf. So I've got nothing to talk to him in that regard about, you know, lots of the other guys will get away from it and we'll talk about it. But every conversation with Zach is, uh, is about hockey and uh, he's, he's a special player. And again, he's kind of one of those guys that you look over the last couple of years and, and I didn't go into the bubble. Obviously Mitch Peacock was there with the team in Regina, but uh, you know, to watch Zach as a second year guy, but really getting his first full taste of the WHL and what everything includes off ice to live this schedule that we do. Right. Because let's not forget about that. Brandon's the closest team Mm -hmm. two and a half hours that way. And then everywhere else, you've got a five, six hour bus trip uh, at minimum to get to Regina and beyond. So, uh, you know, to watch Zach kind of learn to manage his schedule and the extracurricular, all the other media attention, like the stuff these guys get now blows my mind. Like it's, it's amazing how, and I get it because, you know, look what you guys are doing and everybody right now, kind of since the pandemic changed the media world, you know, everybody wants a piece of these players. So for them to manage their schedule and still stay focused on exactly what the task is. And and that's on the ice right now at practice, gearing up for game one uh, against the T-Birds or Blazers on Friday night that, uh, it's quite something special to see, and and he, he's a great kid. We're going to watch uh, downtown for a lot of years, whatever jersey he's wearing, for sure. And you mentioned the upcoming opponent, Brian Munns, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, talking about the Winnipeg Ice. The upcoming opponent could be determined as early as tonight, Seattle yeah. or Kamloops. You know, the Ice played both teams once in the regular season, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. Yeah. But, you know, how does that sort of unfamiliarity, you know, factor into sort of the the – preparation for the upcoming series Seattle up 3-1 seems likely it's going to be Seattle given that they were sort of neck and neck with the ice all season long for uh, superiority in the Western Hockey League but the lack of familiarity uh, between the teams how does that sort of play into preparation well I guess it's even right because uh, (laughs) both teams have only seen each other once but you guys know and in today's world there's no secrets anymore Right. Like it's not like the old days where you're trying to find tape or you've got a couple of guys bird dogging as janitors in the in the arena watching <laughs> the skates and trying to figure out what practice and the lines are and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, these these coaches nowadays at this level do the exact same thing as what they do in the American League or the NHL and and the hours of video already that they're that they're pouring over and you know, they've got scouts, they've got uh people that that do give them some insight as well, but you can watch every game on WHL live now. And, uh, you know, I know like we were all glued to, to game four uh, when we got back home because we knew we were having an opportunity to, to play now in the league final as, a, as an organization. And, uh, and Drew, you mentioned the game coming up here tonight. Uh, I think everybody around the team knows what they're doing this evening. So, uh, and, and the other part about it too is all the players know each other now, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, they're all connected, whether it's a Hockey Canada event or they're growing up in the same areas or, you know, especially if it is Seattle and, you know, even if it is Kamloops or some world junior players there. So, you know, Lambos would have known them from last year or camp this year. Zach Ostopchuk knows these guys. So, um, you know, again, there, there's not a lot behind the scenes that really anybody can pull that that little joker card out of their back pocket and say, OK, this is what we're going to do in game one because everybody's seen it. You know, everyone has seen it, but it's sort of a unique situation with Brad Lambert 
uh, you know, given that he spent so much of his time overseas in the last number of years, and yeah. now has come back to play for Seattle, and obviously the ties to Winnipeg being a Jets draft pick, he's sort of a, a bit of an anomaly uh, in the, in how he's been able to come into the Western Hockey League, put up such impressive numbers for Seattle if it ends up being Seattle, and then just more connectivity between uh, Winnipeg, the Ice, the Jets, and and sort of the hockey communities there. It's a, it's a unique sort of circumstance with him. Yeah, Brad, obviously, uh, you know, Dylan Gunther started the year with the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was involved with the Edmonton Oil Kings last year that eliminated Winnipeg in the Eastern Conference Championship Series. Uh, you know, Nolan Allen is uh, is on the back end there for Seattle that uh, we see a, or we saw a lot as a member of uh, Prince Albert. List goes on and on. We could go through the entire T-Bird roster if you wanted. Uh, you know, all those <laughs> world junior guys that played for Canada. So there is... Uh, there is a lot of intrigue. There is some fantastic storylines that Kevin Olszewski and I will be able to tell over that seven game series. And we expect it to go a long time because both teams are that good that uh, it's going to be a fantastic series to watch. And there is so many great, uh, you know, different reasons for people to come out and uh, watch these games starting Friday and Saturday inside the ice cave. Lindsay, I want to ask you about a player that maybe, you know, some people might not think I would ask you about, but it's just because I think it's so impressive what he's doing at such a young age. And it's Jonas Wu. You know that I work at Hockey Manitoba. He was on our provincial team. You know, he he was only 15 years old at the time. It's like, you know, he's 16. He's still, as you mentioned, you have to remind yourself, we keep getting older. These guys keep getting younger, right? But I I think, you know, and and you would know because you, you have been around him and you've watched him, but you know, he has played, I believe, the majority of, of the games in the playoffs, if not all of them. Yeah. Um, and just how impressed have you been? Because, you know, when you talk about, you know, the Connor Geekies and the Connor McLennans and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, he to do what he's doing at 16 years old is, is in my opinion, extremely impressive. It's unreal. Like he's 16. He just got his driver's <laughs> license. <laughs> like, really, like, and, and that I think, Ezzy, that's the cool part for me is you watch these guys and they step onto the ice and I'll be honest, I forget their age sometimes. And then I look down at my roster again, when I'm going to pull up a stat or a note or a tidbit, or as Dennis Bayak used to say, that little golden nugget that you always want to have on the broadcast. Um, And then you do, you see like the way I've got it written out is D 16 Winnipeg, Manitoba, then his height age second year. Um, He has played every game. You know, he played all of them last year as a 15 year old against that oil Kings team that went on to eventually win the league championship. And, you know, he's been a rock for them all season long and he's not the biggest guy. So that to me, he's kind of that Tory Krug, you know, he's not as thick as Josh Morrissey, but he is a Josh Morrissey when he came in from Kelowna. Like we all think back to the early years of the jets when Josh was just coming in and Mm -hmm. he's this smooth skating guy that uh, reads the play so well, like that's Jonas Wu to me. Uh, he doesn't have the physical element as much, but again, he's 16 years old. And I don't think you want to put your body into that scenario unless you have to, like, he's not afraid to do it. Don't get me wrong. But uh, you know, if you're comparing Jonas and Josh, like Josh has to shut down the best players every night and Jonas can go out, play in that four five, six role, not look out of place, make the smart play, get back, reads the ice exceptionally well. And, Obviously, his, uh, you know, his lineage with uh, his dad, Larry, and his brother, Jet, helps out, obviously, with uh, 
learning the game and understanding the game and working on it away from uh, the rink itself uh, when he's away from his teammates here. But he's special. You're right, Ezzy. And, and again, he's he's 16. He's he's a long way from the four of us. Here's here's something for you, Munzi. I still I'm old enough now that I can say this. I remember watching Larry play for the U of M Bisons, and he was the hockey coach. I went to Kelvin High School, proud Clipper grad. He was the coach of our high school team at at Kelvin. So obviously, I'm showing my age now at 40 years old. But uh, and yeah, you're right, and the star of Goon. Absolutely right, Goon, right. Yes. As we like to bug him about, he was the star. <laughs> But Brian, I want to ask you about the job James Patrick has done as head coach of this team. I mean, you you see him, you know, behind the scenes. You see yeah. all the things he does to work with these young players. What what has the, been the impression you've gained from working with James Patrick behind the scenes? This organization is so lucky to have him. Like, first of all, he's a Winnipeg guy, right? So he wants to be here. Like this, this is something very, very special for him because he has extremely close friends and family that he's grown up with his entire life, able to be at the rink and be a part of this right now. So if you look at James Patrick, the player, you look at James Patrick, the coach in the NHL, and then now you look at what he's been able to do now through six seasons since he joined the team when they were based in Cranbrook, uh, known as the Kootenai Ice, from from where they were and, you know, Matt and Jake and, and Jeep are kind of those three guys that have been there from, from the bottom level and, and bringing this thing all the way to the top and, and getting a chance to start the league final coming up this, uh, this weekend here. So biggest thing for me, if I'm to, uh, to look at him and kind of take you behind the curtain a little bit, he's extremely detailed. He is, and this is no slight to anybody that is around, but he is so passionate about the game, like to, and, and, and to be able again to translate it to, to players this age, right? Like he's older than us. So as, as much as we joke about our age right now and in our late forties and getting around that 50 age, you know, Jeep's a guy that that can go into that room and, and bring his message as not only a hockey coach, but he's their de facto parent, you know, during this, this time of the year when all these players are away from their, from their legitimate families across the world that uh, you know, it's an open door. You know, his, his office is right over there and players are in and out of there all the time. And just the way he relates and is able to communicate to these guys is uh, is something special. And uh, and I know he's having a ton of fun of it right now. And through his experience as a player, whether it was playing or in the NHL or representing Canada at different events, uh, you know, it's it's pretty neat to see what, uh, what he and, and Terrace McEwen and Josh Green from a year ago um, – you know, these these guys are, are really like parents to these guys for, for hockey and life, and uh, it's been a fun ride. Munzi, last question for you. You know, the, the, the ice are in sort of a unique position that if the Kamloops Blazers are able to win, then the ice will be guaranteed to go to the Western Ho- to the <laughs> Memorial Cup, given that yeah. Kamloops is the home host team and they have the automatic berth. You know, I've been asking this questions, I think, to our, you know, over the years a number of times, you know, from your perspective, you've been involved in junior hockey in Canada for so many years now. Can the Memorial Cup stand on its own that, you know, the host team doesn't necessarily need an automatic berth anymore? Can they? Can the Memorial Cup, is it have the, the, the prestige where it can, it can be an event regardless of if the home team is automatically there or not? Yeah, I don't know, Drew. I, I like the format. I really do. 
I think it leads to the excitement for the last couple of years. Like if you want to take it into the interior for Kamloops and, and Blazers hockey fans, like you think of the rich tradition of that organization and for them to know over the last few seasons that coming up here at the end of this month, they're going to host the national championship. They've built that team all the way through. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you've got look back at the deadline, the arms race that it was between the ice and the T-Birds and, you know, Saskatoon, Moose Jaw. Like there was so much parody all the way through Portland that, uh, you know, everybody looks at it and says, okay, our league is hosting this year. So it goes through all three years, right? You've got the Ontario league, you've got the Quebec league. So every third year, your league has an exceptional opportunity to win a national championship. So I think it's great, um, you know, as it moves forward. Yeah, then you only have one WHL representative. But I've been to a few of these things now, and I can tell you there's nothing like that first round robin game. <laughs> I've only been there as a fan, obviously, so far. Um, the one that really stands out for me was the Kelowna Rockets in oh. Oh four or 06. can't remember exactly. Mark Habshad was the head coach. That's why I went. Um, it was right after our time together in Melford. And uh, when they stepped onto the ice, it was wow. And then the two also that I've seen in Regina, um, every time the Pats came out, like you could just feel the buzz. So, yeah, I think you want the host team in it. You know, it's, yeah, they're down three games to one. Let's be honest. It's going to be tough for them to be able to come back and win that series if they do. Boy, that would be a story just like Saskatoon was against Red Deer, right? And right. it'd be fantastic for junior hockey. So I think all in all, I like the way the, the format is right now because it gives your league a chance to really create that excitement in your city for a couple of years leading into that big event that uh, is so huge now compared to maybe what it was 10, 15 years ago. And just one thing to add to that, it's like, as you know, Munzee, the Centennial Cup next weekend in Portage, right? Yeah. Like you could, you can make that same argument. Mm -hmm. Like if you ask anybody in Portage La Prairie, if you didn't have the Terriers there, uh, Steinbach obviously is the MJHL champions, right? But I don't think many right. people are going to, are going to have any problem with the format for the Centennial Cup either. No. And you know what? I've had a privilege of calling that thing a number of times uh, back earlier on in my career. And mm -hmm. it, it's special to have the home team. Right. Because everybody gets around it. And, you know, if if you were to look at Portage being the host for this year, yes, yeah, Steinbach's only two hours away. So Piston fans are going to go there no matter what. But think of that game when you've got Steinbach and Portage playing or you've got <laughs> North Battleford coming in from the SJ. Right. Like you want these local teams there because, hey, all the other teams across the nation deserve to be there. But to watch Quebec and Ontario isn't going to draw everybody out as much as maybe as it would when you've got Portage and Ontario playing because you want to see your home team win. Games one and two next weekend. How can people get tickets, Munzee? Do the WinnipegIce.ca coming up on uh, Friday night at 7 o'clock, and then we'll play Saturday at 6. We're bumping it up an hour early. It's uh, It's been great to see the young families and, and the groups be able to come out and, and take advantage of these earlier starts on the weekend and be back home by 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So it's a fantastic weekend. We're pumped for it. And, uh, Look forward to a packed ice cave coming up uh, well, less than a week away now. It'll be Lindsay, fun. Just one more thing. That Battleford's team is really good. You know, my dad is from Flin Flon, who's obviously in the SJHL. But So I was pulling for the Bombers in that one. I got to bring it back to the SJHL for Munzee, but I don't yeah. think Flin Flon had any chance in, in that series. I, don't, I think it was a sweep. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, the Bombers are going to have to wait another year. Yeah, I uh, I was keeping close eyes on that one. Obviously, uh, Braden Klamasco is the head coach in North Battleford, and uh, – 
He's Humboldt Bronco alumni, and his dad was an assistant coach 20 years ago when uh, when I was calling Bronco hockey. So, uh, yeah, I, I was keeping an eye on that, and, and I'm happy for Braden, obviously. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's Portage, I'm good friends with uh, Paul and, uh, and Booge and Steinbeck. Uh, Booge was our goalie in Melfort. Uh, back in 1997-ish, something like that, the assistant coach with the Pistons. So uh, I'm hoping for a local team to win for sure. It'll be some great hockey upcoming here with the ice and, of course, with the Centennial Cup taking place in Portage as well. Munzee, thank you for this, buddy. Best of luck to you and the rest of the team in the ice in the upcoming Western Hockey League Championships. We'll keep a close eye on everything. All right, guys. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Catch up soon again. We'll talk soon. There he goes. Brian Munns joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We go I thought to Kevin O was going to pop in. I don't know about you boys, but I thought any second, Kevin, did you send him the <laughs> link, Dave? What's going on here? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, one final break, and then Dave will let us know about what's happening with the Moose, including the own goal heard around the AHL. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. One final segment up next. It's going to be overtime as well. Big thanks to Brian Munns. Big thanks to Jim Toth for joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Great ice content, great Jets talk. You gotta love a twelve ninety reunion, right? Oh yes, exactly. You do. We bring everyone else on. We'll, we'll do Let's a wrap on here. Show. Yes. Thank you for interrupting me, though. That was much appreciated there. I, I, so we're going to mute you for the rest of the show, and we're going to turn it over to Mr. Manuk. Put on your antlers. It's time for the Manuk Moose Minute on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. I'm pretty sure from my house in Crescentwood, I could hear Dave going, No! Why? When that puck entered the net on the delayed no. penalty. Did Drew just go through night. puberty again? Yeah, I don't know what happened to Drew. I thought he was having a seizure for a second there. No, Drew, as you know, I don't cheer one way or the other. So uh, I was watching that with, uh, well, I, I was incredulous, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, it's a shame we didn't do the show Two days ago, when we were, we'd have the opportunity to talk about two straight overtime wins by your Manitoba Moose to f- take a 2-1 lead and potentially have the opportunity to clinch last night. And the Moose looked like a team that was ready to clinch, coming out the right way. Greg Morales scoring or the first goal in the first period, have a one-nothing lead. And the Moose played a really good game three, I have to say. Like they were, they were they were they really were excellent. They were physical. I, I didn't think that they gave uh, they were disciplined. Now, unfortunately, that didn't, for the Moose, continue into game four. And they were hit with penalty after penalty. And Milwaukee has the best power play, a great penalty kill as well. But you just couldn't afford to to do what the Moose did, which was played with fire. And they got burnt. And uh, they took a five on three early in the first. And uh, they killed the first one, had a chance to almost kill the second one and didn't. It was a one-all game late in the first period. As Drew just uh, you know teased out, it looked like the Moose were going to have a chance to take a 2-1 lead into the sec- first intermission, but a, a hard pass from Chisholm that wasn't received well by Vili Hanola ends up as an own goal on a delayed penalty, and now the Moose are down 2-1, and you're like, well, that, uh, that was inopportune uh, for Manitoba and their chances in the second period didn't go very well, down 3-1, then down 4-1. And again, power play goal. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, the Moose had a chance, but you know, you're blowing it by taking penalty after penalty. And it was, I mean, the, the refs at the AHL, it's a development league, but the refs just, it's, there were four penalties before the first five minutes of the, of the game. 
uh, in the first period, maybe 10 minutes. It was just, it was too many penalties called. It was put the whistles away, let them play. Unless it's egregious, unless a guy takes a guy's head off, I don't want to see, I don't want to hear a whistle. Unless it's a, a clear delay of game penalty, don't blow the whistle. It's just Hold on, are you talking about Sam Bennett on Matthew Nyes right now? Because, I mean, that was absurd. The fact that people were saying that wasn't a penalty, are, like, that was a WWE takedown. Anyways. Yeah, no, I know, I know. But but the point is, I just, to me, in the, in the playoffs, again, these are two teams, as I've touched on. This is, tonight will be the 30th time in the last two years these two teams have played each other. Uh, so it is a lot of, uh, of, of, familiarity this is the 13th time this year eight regular this is the fifth of course playoff game so these two teams don't love each other and and you know you can see that and you can feel it in the series it's a great series probably the best one that's going on right now in the ahl but ultimately uh the moose just needed to play more disciplined hockey and they didn't do it and as a result they were down 4-1 after 40 minutes and thought to yourself all right it's over like this is, you know, may as well, you know, there go the pretzels and here come the pretzels and just uh, start playing for game five. But the Moose, you know, needed to be able to score early in that third period, kind of like the Jets did when they forced overtime against Vegas in their first round series. And the Moose did that. Jansen Harkins, he scored uh, on the power play. Nice goal, nice setup by Villanola and suddenly and wide Bon Giovanni. So suddenly now Moose are down by two. And then two minutes and six seconds later, wide Bon Giovanni, who only scores against Milwaukee, it appears. I think that was his six. Six goal out of his 14 this season against Milwaukee, but uh, he scored to make it a 4-3 game. Now, you got to give the Milwaukee coaching staff credit. They called a timeout. They took back, allowed them to calm things down, got the momentum back a little bit, pushed back into the Moose zone. They weren't able to score, but they really grinded the Moose down. And then, again, it comes to discipline. Captain Jimmy Olney, who just won the Yannick Dupree for the AHL Man of the Year for all of his community service, takes a penalty with four minutes, just over four minutes to go in the game. They don't get scored on, but it's just two minutes less now. You're playing defense, and you don't have an opportunity to try and tie it. So ultimately, the Moose fell short, and uh, their final minute, uh, you know, they just didn't have the the urgency. I want to go with the Druism here. Their attention to detail was not good, and when I asked head coach Mark Morrison about it after the game, he said that um, one of the things he said was, it was selfish. Well, he didn't say he used the word selfish, but he may as well have because was he, he said like, <laughs> no, but he said, no, he didn't. But he essentially said like, look, you've got guys who are staying on for the full two minutes, you know, stay on for a minute, get the hell off the ice, get the fresh legs on. And they didn't do that. And you could see it. They just didn't have the push. So as a result, the, the moose weren't able to uh, tie the game and the admirals put the goal into the empty net and uh, force a winner takes all game five tonight, six o'clock in milwaukee so uh should be a great one we'll of course have full coverage here on my twitter i see dave and of course on illegalcurve.com for the recap there you go there's the manuk moose minute dave keeping Woo-hoo! you abreast of everything going on with the moose win or go home tonight for manitoba in milwaukee the epic game five coverage on dave's twitter and of course illegalcurve.com are we going to talk about what i've been talking about in the private chat or are we no, not going to not. we're not going to okay. touch on that yeah no we're, we're professional I didn't, even re- I didn't even read the private chat i was i was i was like i i oh. was so yeah. focused on Actually, making you know, sure that's what we should do is we should sell subscriptions to the private chat so that people who are in the regular chat can see the private chat and then they can really see what goes beyond behind the Sorry, i just looked at the private chat and dear dear lord so are we basically creating an OnlyFans account? That would be exactly what we're doing. Yes, exactly. An illegal curve OnlyFans account, except we wear more clothes rather than less. That's how, that's how it works. But Drew, just before, uh, just before we end, though, we should yeah. mention, of course, as we touched on and you said a little bit, but Brad Lambert, who has been uh, excellent in the WHL playoffs, the Jets 2022 first rounder, he'll be in action tonight against 
Kelowna in, uh, I think this game's in Seattle. Yeah, so that uh, opportunity for them to clinch in Kent, Washington, I should say, actually, specifically. And so they'll have a chance to uh, clinch and, uh, you know, set things up against the Winnipeg Ice and the WHL Championship. And, of course, Dominic Divincentis, as I mentioned already, the him and his North Bay Battalions are uh, currently up three games to two against the Peterborough Peets with a chance to clinch and head to the OHL Championship. So even though the Jets are done, folks, the Moose are still making news. The ice are still making news. Jets prospects are still making news. And mm-hmm. there's still some Jets news. Uh, you know, we mentioned Nito Nina Ryder. He's heading to play for Team Switzerland at the World Championship. Dylan Sandberg, he's heading to the World Championship. And uh, we expect Nikolai Ehlers, provided he's healthy, will also be playing for Team Denmark. Cody Glass from Winnipeg is heading to the World Hockey Championship. Yes, but he doesn't play for the Jets. So that really it's has nothing to do with what Dave was saying. I know. From Winnipeg. from Winnipeg. A uh, big thank you to all the sponsors of Illegal Curve who make the Saturday show, the post-game show, the website a possibility. Our friends at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. I'm reliably informed that Spency will be at Rumors tonight, so God wow. help Good luck, Rumors. God bless. Godspeed. We'll hope the business survives until next week. Spency, Drew's going to have the most expensive bottle of champagne waiting for you when you get there. Uh, Linden Market Dental Center, Zappia Group Realty, our friends at Bethway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's. It's Kentucky Derby Day, so be sure to drink. I, I should have mentioned that. I'm very excited. I just watched, for the record, I just watched uh, Mind That Bird, the 50 to 1 on Netflix. Awesome, a little bit slow, but the race is worth watching. Of course, I'm a huge horse racing guy, so no surprise that I watched that one. Maybe yes. a little tear watching as the as the race ran, but uh, Mind That Bird, big, big long shot. I believe the favorite actually was not was just a was a late scratch. scratch. So, Forte, uh, who was the three to one favorite this morning, was scratched. So I believe there's only going to be 17 horses in the Derby today, as opposed <laughs> to the usual 20. Uh, and it's uh, going to be a wide open race, so you never know what's going to happen. But so, I what time should I come over, Drew, for a mint juleps? You are not allowed anywhere on my property, as per usual. It's not like the Derby Day changes that rule, but it's something to look forward to. I think around 5:20 this afternoon is going to. I be guess I'll just wear my big fancy hat around River Heights and. You should do that. Yes, the, the run for the roses and, of course, all the pomp and circumstance that goes with it. So it is one of my favorite days on the calendar, the first Saturday in May. Enjoy Derby Day, everyone. And our friends have got to make a shout-out again. heckle as much as you want, Spency. At Rolly's Transfer and Grid Park. Security's already been alerted, Spency. They're just going to tase you when you walk in the door uh, ahead of time. Uh, big thanks to these businesses for their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. Big thanks to all of you good folks for joining us this Saturday. Saturday morning. We'll be back next Saturday at 9 a.m. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, leave us feedback here, there, everywhere, especially on the iTunes page. Want to hear what you think of the program. We'll be back next Saturday, but in the meantime, illegalcurve.com is updated all the time. And Every if, day. If, Multiple uh, times. events warrant, we'll maybe do a pop-up show uh, if there is news of that level. Big thanks to everyone for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend. For Dave Manu, for King Ginsburg. I'm your host, Drew Mandel. If it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, illegalcurve.com.